the blast from our past network. Hi, all. Well, this is the composer, Richard Band. You might have heard music from a few of my films, like Reanimator and uh, From Beyond and Terrorvision. But right now, you're listening to Podcasting After Dark, a killer, killer show. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Dr. Mordred, starring Jeffrey Combs, Yvette Nepar, and Brian Thompson. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. We are celebrating season five. We just had our fourth anniversary and we're now at the premiere of season five, Podcasting After Dark. It's me, Sweet Sexy Z. Uh, I'm the showrunner for tonight, but joining me as always, the editor of Fetter, whatever that means, <laughs> the mother from another brother, whatever that means, my beautiful, bodacious co-host, Corey Stevenson, Sleazy C, little Corey Gory, what's happening, brother? Oh, man, where did the time go, dude? Where did four years go? We had we had a pandemic, we had a quarantine, and the whole time, hell, dude, you and I never missed a damn week of podcasting after dark. Except for a couple weeks ago when we didn't do one for, uh, I think it was Memorial Day or something like that. But uh, it was very rare. And uh, man, couldn't be happier to be on this journey with you, my friend. It was, it's all you, bro. Like you were the one who spearheaded this whole thing and uh, got me started on it. Hey, Zach, do you want to do a podcast with me? Sure. And then little did I know, five years later, well, well, four, technically. We're going into year five Yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> four years later, uh, we'd be doing this thing having as much fun as we did back then, knowing a whole hell of a lot more than we did back then. Uh, and man, the catalog of films that we've collected over the past four years has been amazing. Dude, I was, I don't know, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and I was busting out knowledge that I've just acquired um, these four years, you know, by doing this with you, most of the knowledge I get comes from you, but I do feel that I've like actually grown in knowledge about movies from this era, uh, specifically, you know, people in the movies behind the scenes, the actors, uh, I didn't kind of didn't really pay a lot of attention to that when I was younger. So this job and you have helped sort of push that on me. And I'm just, I'm noticing people now. I'm noticing different actors in different parts. I'm like, oh, I saw them here and this movie here. And we covered that on TV Obscura and this and that. And it's such a, man, it's such a great, like, spider web of cult movie and TV show knowledge that I personally have acquired from doing this job with you for the past four years. Yeah, man. I, I feel like, uh, well, I felt last year like we're just getting started. And I still feel like we're just getting started with the amount of movies that we've already done. And the, and the amount of movies that we have tapped for, well, the foreseeable future. Yeah. We both <laughs> and, have a TV giant shows. pile of movies. <laughs> yeah, we both have piles of movies. We both have bunch of we all, we both have TV shows we want to cover uh, along with Diallo and TV Obscura. And, man, I'm just happy to be doing this with you. It's an honor. And uh, 
Well, tonight, we'll just, <laughs> what a we'll, way to kick off season five, buddy! <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think I realized that tonight was the season five premiere when I picked this movie, uh, but it kind of checks all the boxes as to what podcasting after dark is. Uh, and really quickly, a side note: this movie, well, a fe- friend of the show and patron. Go to patreon.com slash podcasting after dark if you're interested in joining the Patreon successful patron page that we have. Um, community, maybe? Community of friends and family and whatnot. Robert or Robert Ortiz had posted a picture of this movie on his uh, social media, and I commented I, on how much I love it. And he's like, I think it's actually my favorite full moon movie of all time. And I'm like, wow, cool, well... We will get to it. It's not my favorite of all time, but we will get to it. And we did. We're getting to it tonight, actually. <laughs> uh, Dr. Mordred, baby. Dr. Mordred from 1992. It's a cool 74-minute movie. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> actually, you 70 lucky minutes. bastard. <laughs> I mean, that was not intentional. I knew it was short, uh, but it, it was not intentional. Um before I get into my sordid history with this film, what is your history with Dr. Mordred? Yeah, my history, very brief. Um, I remember this cover, this VHS cover at the store. I also remember actively scoffing at it every time I saw it. I was like, I'm not going to watch this trash. Um, I didn't I didn't know there was any nudity in it. I, I probably would have uh, actually watched it had I known that. But yeah, it didn't look... <laughs> great to me by the cover and and even his outfit looked a little lame which is weird because it's not the same outfit he's wearing in the movie no. um but now having watched it holy moly this movie is so ambitious it is a it's it's you know what it's better than most of the current phase mcu movies uh, I, I have to say, <laughs> I don't disagree with you on that. Um, I will say that the Charles band who runs and owns and had a big hand in this film, uh, full moon entertainment, he would go into the offices of blockbuster when they would fork money over, uh, to make a movie and, or other production companies, he would just show them a poster and the movie wasn't even made yet. And I believe that's the case with this one. He just showed the poster. That's why the costume looks nothing like the one he wears in the movie itself. I mean, it does a little bit, sort of, but not really. Sort of. Sort of. Anyways, um, I was a Full Moon fan before Full Moon was even Full Moon. I'm sure you were, too. Empire Videos. Can I say the caveat when I said the the poster looked lame to me? I was watching full moon movies at the time. Subspecies, uh, demonic toys versus doll man. Like all that. I was watching all of that shit. For some reason, this one stuck out as extra crappy looking. The irony is it's one of the better ones of full moon, which I wish it had a better poster. But I'm sorry. I, I didn't. I just wanted to add that caveat and didn't want people to think that I wasn't watching full moon movies at the time. No, I'm glad you did, because I totally agree. I think it actually is one of their best movies that they've done um, and has one of the best all around casts. You know, the thing about full moon is is interesting because for as much as people crap on full moon, you never hear actors that have done a full moon movie in the 80s and 90s with them ever complain about that. And they actually come back in the case of Helen Hunt. She was a big star by the time Trancers came out and Trancers 2. She was in that 
full movie. And she did another one. She did like their short film, City of Angels, I believe it's called. I could be wrong. Um, you know, she came back to to work with Full Moon had and never said anything negative about it. And, you know, I think that's a testament to uh, Charles Band, whether he is, you know, the best production company guy or whatever. Um, people tend to like working with him and they do the they do his movies and he's he puts out movies consistently and they're pretty damn original. I mean, I know Dr. Mordred people will say is a is a ripoff of Doctor Strange. And it was apparently like built off of the backbones of an unused Doctor Strange script. Yeah. Um and I mean, as someone who grew up reading Marvel comics, I could immediately see the 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 connections with Doctor Strange and everything, but it does become its own thing at, at by the end of it i would say that i don't you know i wouldn't say it's a complete doctor strange ripoff from beginning to end or anything no and i and, and and i i'll take back the ripoff statement and i'll say it's an homage uh because i think it's pretty obvious that he's a mystical you know he, he it's i think it's kind of a tribute to doctor strange in a way it's their version of doctor strange it's the full moon version just like meridian is the full moon version of beauty and the beast Yes. If yeah. you like Sherilyn Fenn, you'll love Meridian. <clears throat> I watched Meridian a lot as a kid, and I didn't put that together in my head. But, yeah, you're right. It's like, yes, this is like the rated R full moon version of Doctor Strange. And, yes, Meridian, even the cover, you could tell, is the the full moon version of uh, Beauty and the Beast. So, yeah, good. Yeah. good. And then what subspecies is kind of like his, their version of uh, you know Dracula and, and vampires and stuff. With some great little David Allen effects, uh, stop motion effects in, in subspecies. And then Seed People is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yep. And, you yep. know, it's the same thing Roger Corman did. And so, and Roger Corman doesn't tend to get a lot of crap for the stuff that he does. You know, he gets like heralded as this, you know, pioneer. Well, I'd say Charles Band is a pioneer too. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I was a full moon fanatic from way back when, just like you were. Uh, I still have the uh, full moon membership card. I have a full moon cat. Uh, I have a full moon calendar from like 1992 with wow. uh, go to patreoncom slash $2 late fee to listen to why does Zach own this <laughs> to find out why <laughs> I own that. Uh, Cause I talk about that. Um, I have so much uh, full moon trading cards, full moon comic books, full moon um, uh, VHS tapes. I still have. And by the way, at this point in the 90s, Full Moon was still uh, being distributed by Paramount Pictures. So it was the beautiful, you know, had the, the, the title on the front of the tape, too, as well as on the top and Paramount movie. It was just cool to see a Paramount logo for a Full Moon movie. Um, the Blu-ray that came out, it's fine. It, it, the quality's really good, and it's got all the special features that the VHS tape had. But the nostalgia of waiting for the movie to end and watching Video Zone at the end of uh, the, the, the feature film was always a highlight and treat. Maybe was the reason why some of these movies were so short. Um, and, you know, nothing... That nostalgia is still there. If you have a VCR, you can probably get the VHS tape on eBay. So did you see this when it first came out? Well, first off, my question is, it didn't come out in the theater, I don't think, right? It no, went straight, straight to video. Vi straight to video, okay. Um, so did you watch it, I guess, roughly in 92 when it dropped? Oh, yeah. I still have the Full Moon newsletters. I still have all of them that were sent previewing upcoming movies. And I think I have the one that previews Dr. Mordred. I'll have to look and 
if I can find it, I'll bring it to our wrap up after dark episode um, later this month. But yes, I did. I watched it day and date when it came out. I was I was chomping at the bit for every full moon movie that would come out. I was like, I had to be there for it, right? I had to be there for the premiere on VHS. Um, and one thing I was thinking of too was that Doctor Mordred is, uh, you know, that he would put out a, a movie a month basically. And Charles Band was this guy who loved the serials of the 50s and the 60s, Rocket Man and Flash Gordon. And he wanted to bring that same element of uh, fun to the VHS market when no one else was doing that. Who else was doing extras on a VHS tape? Nobody, right? He was the first guy to really put what we now expect on a DVD or Blu-ray back on VHS tapes back in the day. No one else did that as far yeah. as I know, or if they did, it wasn't as, it wasn't as well done as Charles banded video zone. So cool. So anyways, it's funny I, you, you mentioned that I, I'm thinking in my head, I think I watched more full moon stuff on cable than maybe renting it because mm. I don't know how much I actually recall those extra features, but I remember a lot of the movies, you know? So I'm, I, I know I rented some, I, I know I did, but I feel like I watched a lot of them on cable, though. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously, if they're on cable, they're not going to have the Video Zone featurette. Uh, I don't, I don't remember watching a lot of them on, other than Meridian, uh, a lot of cable. Uh, I don't remember watching a lot of Full Moon movies on cable, other than Meridian, um, back in the day, because I would rent them, okay. and then I would see the Video Zone featurette. And I think they started, I feel like they started in the late 80s, early 90s, the Video Zone features uh, on when when it became Full Moon. I think when they were Empire, they were still doing, They. I don't think, it, I think they might have been doing behind the scenes stuff, but not like the Full Moon Shadow Zone or whatever it's called at the end. Wasn't there a movie called Shadow Zone where there I can was. pick this demon guy floating in a... Yeah, that one was another cover that I thought was shitty, and I never watched it. But now, now that I know Doctor Mordred, Mordred was fantastic, uh, should I have seen Shadow Zone? Yeah, it's worth watching. I think that one's good. I think Netherworld is pretty good. Okay. Uh, I, I believe who's in Netherworld? Billy can, Warlock, maybe. He's I got a big hand that, on the yep, cover. Yep, right? the hand on the cover. It's so funny because. I mean, all of these covers, I can immediately recognize whether I watched the movie or not, like, you know, Mordred and all in Shadow Zone and stuff like that. All these, I mean, he always had great covers. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, even, I mean, even this one, even if I was like, oh, this looks lame, I still admit that there was, it was interesting, though. Like, I, I, I gave them props for, for, you know, packing a bunch of cool imagery on the cover. It just, for me, I was like, that's not really my cup of tea. I'm not into like this weird, you know, I don't know. And also too, it kind of has like this, you know, Photoshoppy vibe. And I thought this was going to be just one of those movies that just used like bad green screen and stuff. And it actually doesn't. It actually has pretty decent effects. Honestly, it does. I, I, as interesting as this cover is, it it weirdly turned me off as a kid and I know that wasn't the uh the intent of it and I'm looking at it now and it's 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 not as bad as I think I thought as a kid it's not that bad by the way Netherworld starred uh, Michael Benedetti who was on the later seasons of 21 Jump Street by the way okay. um yeah no I I don't think it does 
I don't think it's that bad in comparison to a lot of the other schlock that was put out back in the day. And I think what set Full Moon apart from other low-budget production companies was that their the quality, of, like the originality and the, the quirkiness, and there's a charm to all their movies and like a wink of like, we get it, we're cheesy, but we're having fun, and we hope you are too. That's, I mean, that's what's most impressive about this movie here. It's ambitious. They're really trying to do some some big stuff here and, and, and have, on a micro budget. I mean, you can tell. But at the same time, it's fun. They're having a good time with it. And they're also like, we know we're, we're sort of punching above our weight class here as far as ambition goes. And we know some of this stuff is super cheesy, like when Brian Thompson's just pouring the the glitter water in. And, you know, and, my, and Myra's like, that's just glitter water. But at the same time, it's charming. And and I watched this with my wife. She loved it. Um, it it's just there's a charm to this movie. And I got to say, again, I got to reiterate it's better than most Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that are coming out nowadays. But it, not just to say that, it's also to say that this could be watched right next to all of those. And a lot of that has to do with Richard Band's score in this movie. It's so superhero-esque. It's, it's, it feels contemporary with the MCU stuff. It feels like just current-day superhero score uh myra said it sounds a lot like the batman score from 89 which probably does because you know that movie was massive and it only came out a few years before this one i wouldn't be surprised you know i mean because at that point what was our template for superhero music danny elfman and batman and john williams and superman that's the template and listening to richard band if you'd say you know, he was a hodgepodge of the two, then I'd say he got it right because all the MCU stuff sounds exactly like Richard Band stuff. So I'm saying he in a, he was one of these early superhero movie innovators as far as music goes. Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad you brought him up and we're kind of segueing into the, the cast and crew. Uh, Richard Band, who we interviewed on Podcasting After Dark, and, and we highly recommend you check out that interview. Uh, we interviewed him about a year ago, maybe two years ago. It was a uh, while ago, but it, it lived on Patreon for a while, and now uh, it's on the free feeds now, so you can you can listen to it for free. Yeah, go check that out because he is, uh, you know, he's been in the business for a really long time. He he's obviously the brother of Charles Band and the son of Albert Band, the both the directors of this film, uh, who we'll talk about in just a second. In just a second, but um, yeah, he. He's really underrated, and I think we told him that in the interview. Told him, we, I think we told him that in the interview uh, that he doesn't get enough credit where where he where he's kind of done synthesized stuff that is way more common now. And you know, obviously, the technology has changed. It's just like green screen back in the day, and people thought it was cheesy, and now it's just the norm. Um, you know, he he's he's a very underappreciated composer. And the cool thing is he actually listened to our prison review uh, episode because he composed, you know, the music for that. And he corrected us on something that was a piece of information that we got from the behind the scenes of the prison Blu-ray. So he actually corrected us on something that, you know, that that I guess the prison Blu-ray got wrong, essentially. But he sort of blamed us for it. But uh, he was he was yeah. nice about it. But. That was an, that was a level of engagement that we've never had uh, since. 
Now, I appreciate that he actually listened to the interview. Sometimes we to do. Sometimes our, or, sorry, to the review and the breakdown. And maybe he listened to his interview, too, because it was <laughs> very well edited by us. Um, so but his father, Albert Band, is one of the co-directors of this film. I will just shout out. He's more known for his producing uh, duties and he produced over the course of his career I'm going to list off the ones from the 80s that he produced Metal Storm The Destruction of Jared Sin which is a fun 3D film I believe I believe Michael Ironside is in that one yeah he's Not, the villain yeah and Tim Thomerson is in that so and Kelly Preston as well wow what a great and I believe um, Ernie Hudson is in that too um, Troll Terror Vision Ghoulies 2, which he directed, Robot Jocks, The Pit yeah, and the Robot Pendulum. Jocks. Robot Jocks, baby. Um, I'm going to be doing it. I did an unboxing video, by the way, on $2 late fee uh, of the new Empire box set. Ah. I'm going to be putting that up on YouTube uh, either later this month or maybe next month. But You know what? I got the same box set. I'm going to do one for uh, Podcasting After Dark's uh, Patreon. So we can do one at the same time. We'll see whose is better. <laughs> well, we'll find out. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I believe that's already sold out. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I pre-ordered yeah, it. it, it so I, I got mine. Yeah. If, if you haven't got it, highly recommend you do. Um, Pit and the Pendulum. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which I think he uh, he worked with Brian Usna on that. Oh, okay. Um, Trancers 3. Remote, which is a when they started getting when Full Moon started making kid movies, uh, Oblivion, Dragon World starts getting into the '90s, and then you know obviously the list goes on. But then as a director, uh, Albert Band directed a handful of decent films in the '80s. He obviously co-directed uh, Doctor Mordred and Robot Wars, uh, which is is not a Robot Jocks ripoff, but it has Robot Jocks elements to it. Ghoulies 2, he's credited as the director, even though I, I believe Luca Bercovici, uh, who I've interviewed for $2 Leafy, I thought he directed it, but I think he just directed the first one, the first Ghoulies. Okay. Um, yeah, so Albert Band is obviously known for, you know, launching Empire, getting that off the ground, but then his son, Charles Band, is obviously the brains and mind behind full moon and the face pretty much the face of full moon he is the face uh i mean he produced he's produced as many movies as he's directed i'm just going to run down the movies that he has directed um besides famous tna part two uh (laughs) if you go into his filmography in the 80s and 90s it's obviously filled with full moon movies Doll Man versus Demonic Toys, Trancers 2, Crash and Burn, which has elements of Robot Wars and Robot Jocks, Meridian, Trancers, City of Lost Angels. That's the short film that Helen Hunt is in. Yeah. Um, obviously, Trancers, The Dungeon Master, which is a part of that Empire box set. Yep. Metal Storm, which I mentioned earlier. Parasite, which I believe uh, starred uh, J- Demi Moore in one of her first roles. Um, and Luca Bercovici, if you've never seen that, it's highly recommended. But Charles Band is, I, I love Charles Band. I met him. He's nothing but sweet to me. Um, I love his, I love that he has a love of the genre. He loves these movies and it shows. I remember watching Crash and Burn, uh, as a kid. He also did Meridian. I don't know if you called that one out. Um, yeah. 
Um, I remember, so as far as the ro- the robot ones go, Robot Jocks was my favorite, Crash and Burn was my second favorite, and then Robot Wars, I think I only saw once and I didn't love it. Yeah, me too. I yeah. think I'm in the exact same boat that you are. Robot Jocks, Empire box set, get it while you can. But of course, go check out our Trancers review. Uh, Zach broke that one down for Christmas, uh, I think two years ago at this point. Yeah, God, I love, I love me some Trancers. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I love when people are like, you know, so-and-so director said that, that, oh, Quentin Tarantino loves transfers, I guess. And, oh, that's uh, cool. That's yeah, awesome. I'm like, of course he does. He's got good taste. Yeah, <clears> and we'd love, we'd love that he calls out the movies that he likes. I think that's great about Tarantino. Oh, yeah. Doesn't try to hide it in, in, you know, like some directors do. Yeah, he doesn't hide anything, like his fetish for feet. His foot fetish, I know. It's disgusting. <laughs> um, okay, so. Uh, and, of course, this- Charles Band wrote the, the script, too. Yes, he did. Oh, I'm and sorry. Uh, Courtney Joyner wrote it, um, but the idea was was his. Yeah, and see, Courtney Joyner, he's worked on a ton of Full Moon movies as well, including Lurking Fear. Yeah, that was something that came up, I think, like, a couple episodes ago. You just mentioned it, and I was like, is that the one where you saw that, like, that white troll-looking dude under a castle? And you're like, yeah, that's another one of those. I think I maybe have seen it, but it's another one of those covers that are burned into my brain. I mean, it says a lot that these that the full moon covers, whether I watch the movie or not, are just burned into my memory. Totally. He's the master of getting your attention. Yeah, that's perfect. And, I mean, that's... He's a great showman in that regard. He is. I'm going to call out one visual effects person, and that's David Allen. David Allen, is uh, he passed away in 1999 at the age of 54. But he is a stop-motion animator who has done a ton of stop-motion work. And that's one of the highlights of this movie. It's very short, uh, very like limited. But what it is, when you do see it, it's very cool. Uh, he did the visual effects for The Arrival, which I think is a super underrated alien film with Charlie Sheen. Yeah, the Charlie Sheen one. I think they have like six or seven like sequels to it. Uh, yeah. I saw that one. I remember enjoying it, but I didn't like rewatch it multiple times. I probably rewatched Species more than uh, for for obvious reasons. I can see why. <laughs> I think they show Charlie Sheen's butt in that. But uh, you know, yeah, whatever. Charlie Sheen's butt does not hold a candle to Natasha Hendrickson. <laughs> no. No, but I mean, this guy, David Allen, has worked on every Full Moon movie. Obviously, the Puppet Master series, Demonic Toys, Subspecies. But he he worked on Freaked, the um, ensemble, highly underrated um, Alex Winter. You know, the uh, the cult Alex Winter movie, Freaked, he obviously worked on. If you guys have never seen Freaked, it is wild and worth watching. Um, but yeah, like he's worked on so many movies and you know, he's, he's, I, I love anybody who does stop motion animation is gold in my book. Yeah. Yeah. And the fucking stop motion in this is awesome. It's at the very end and everything. And we'll call it out when it gets there, but you know, it's not cheesy. It's done very well. And I got to say for a micro budget, it looks fantastic. Right. Right. All right, some names we're going to list off in the cast are a who's who of genre uh, selections. Obviously, Jeffrey Combs plays Dr. Mordred. You guys co- know who Jeffrey Combs, and we covered him with From Beyond. Yep. Go listen to that breakdown. It's phenomenal. Corey <laughs> and, did that one. And if you all are wondering why we haven't covered Reanimator yet, it's because Zach and I both owned it, and we agreed that it was always going to be our 
back pocket movie in case we had some sort of emergency or whatever and we and we couldn't get like a movie to each other we were like reanimator will always sort of be our fallback but then it just keeps getting pushed so i mean we're gonna have to cover it eventually because you and i both love that movie and it's a pinnacle of of cult films but that's kind of the reason why we haven't covered it yet yeah, maybe we'll get that to, uh, we'll, we'll have to make it a theme, you know, it'll have to be themed out, whether it's Halloween or New Year's or something, I don't know. But it's yeah. got to be a special moment for that film in particular. Yeah, it's a big movie in, in this circle, in this crowd, you know. Yeah. Uh, Samantha Hunt is played by Yvette Nippar. Uh, she is mostly known, well, she was on 21 Jump Street for a season, and she was on RoboCop, the TV series, I believe. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Canadian TV show, yeah, 1994. Yeah, she, she's a Canadian actor who's, who's you know, been a, in a lot of television shows, CSI, CSI Miami, CSI, 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 and CSI. <laughs> uh, yeah, she was in that Sheena movie that came out. I think that was based on a comic book, the character, um, 2001 um, but yeah, I, I, I recognize it was one of the things like I recognized her, but then I look at this and I'm like, yeah, I don't really know what I've seen her in, you know, but I definitely recognized her. Yeah, me too. Me too. Jay, uh, uh somebody I got mixed up was Jay Akovone or Akovone, I believe his name is. I'm probably saying it wrong. Uh, he's been in a lot of television stuff. Lethal Weapon TV series, NCIS. I got him confused with Fun Boy from The Crow. I thought he was the Fun Boy in The Crow. He does have a bit of a Fun Boy vibe to his face. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. I can see that. Um, <laughs> Somebody Keith... that I got confused with, Andrew Garfield. Yes, totally. Thank you. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, oh, I like this guy more than Andrew Garfield. Dude, Keith Kalaris? Yes. Yeah, as as Adrian was low key my favorite part of the movie. Me too. He, his energy is fantastic, but guys and gals, the, it's no lie. He is the spitting image for Andrew Garfield, just with like long hair. And the whole time, like Myra and I just kept calling him Andrew Garfield, like the the entire time. But it's yeah, great. He, I, I loved him. I think he's great in this. I'll take him over Andrew Garfield any day. Sure. I'm not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. Uh, Rich Brinkley. Plays... Oh, but real quick, oh, yeah. uh, you know Keith really hasn't been in much. I mean, he, when oh, you're yeah. when you're like your top build as like Thug Number One in TMNT Two, The Secret of the Ooze. Yeah, he's like almost close enough to have not having a picture on on IMDb. Yeah, but God bless him. Maybe keep that photo up there because maybe you'll get confused as uh, Andrew Garfield again. Yeah. <clears throat> Rich Brinkley plays Gunner. Uh, this guy's great. He's a character actor. He was in Breakdown. If you've never seen Breakdown, he actually has a pretty big role in the movie Breakdown as one of the kind of thuggish type guys. Breakdown is one of my sleeper hits from the late 90s with Kurt Russell. If you've never seen it, it's literally Duel and the Vanishing put together. Yeah, and check out our Carpenter Factor series on Patreon. Uh, Zach, anytime we talk about Kurt Russell, brings up that movie. So, yes. <laughs> I do. I was obsessed with that film. I still kind of am. Um, okay, so I'm going to call out maybe one or two more people in the cast. One of them is Julie Michaels. She plays Irene. Now, she's got a very small role in this, but she's got a very interesting career. Um, she's a tough chick. 
and she's been in a bunch of movies throughout her career, but I think most people will recognize her as a blonde in the movie Point Break, sorry, in the movie Roadhouse as Denise. Uh, she has a very revealing scene in that, if you know what I mean, uh, just like she does in this. Is the tattoo on her chest, is that real or is that for no, this movie? I think it's fake. Okay, okay. I think it's fake. Um, can, can I say something that a lot of people are probably going to lynch me for? I've never seen Roadhouse. <gasps> I guess, wow. Maybe we need to do that <laughs> as our crossover. You're like, how did you get this far in life without seeing Roadhouse? Wow, maybe we need to do Roadhouse as a crossover <laughs> film. Because that is, oh, wow. Maybe we, okay. To I'm not continued. against it. <laughs> not against wow. it. Okay. Uh, you need to, you do need to see Roadhouse. Um, she was in Point Break. She was a badass babe in Point Break as Freight Train. She, I believe, is like in the drug dealing scene where, where Anthony Kiedis gets his foot blown off in that yeah. whole sequence. Yeah, I, I was going to ask. That scene. Okay, yeah, because I mean, I've seen Point Break a million times, but I can't picture her in it, and I didn't recognize that that name. So, okay, so she's in that that house that they raid, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. And then I'm like, okay, I I do recognize her. Why why is she still like kind of making? What? There's another role I remember her from. She's in the beginning of Jason Goes to Hell. She's the <gasps> stunt girl, the FBI agent, or whatever, undercover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the one in the one in the towel that goes running through the house, and she's sort of the the decoy, the decoy. Uh, to get Jason into the the, the yes. spot. Um, here's a weird thing about old Corey here. Uh, I love that movie. I, I weirdly really enjoyed the beginning and end of that movie because I loved how Jason looked. I recorded that whole first part. Um, when he gets gunned down and exploded, I recorded that um, off the TV, but on to a cassette tape. And I would listen to it when I would walk my dog. And so I knew every bullet hit, every grunt that Jason Voorhees makes when he gets shot and everything. Like I know the audio for that scene better than I know that scene itself. And I don't know why I did that. And I don't know why I was so obsessed with it, but I did. And now you all know it. <laughs> I think that's awesome. It's something I would have done back in the day. And maybe I did do with uh, some movies, maybe the Warriors I did that with. Makes total sense. I get it. Well, I highly my, respect that. I remember my stepdad uh, told me about he did that with uh, A New Hope. and But, of course, this was back in like 77, 78. He brought his uh, tape recorder to the theater and actually taped the whole thing, but he would fall asleep every, every night listening to it. And then he would tell me, he's like, I, you know, he's like, I know the, the sound of that movie better than I know the visuals of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, certain movies have that impact. Um, yeah. and if you can, if you close your eyes and you see the movie, I, man, I, same, we're, we're cut from the same <laughs> peen. Um, <laughs> I'm going to let you call out the next actor because I know he has a connection to you. Uh, so he's he's got a, two scenes in this movie, but man, oh man, are they memorable. Who is yeah. it? Who are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking about Mr. Bernstein, played by Murray Rubin. He is my brother-in-law's grandfather. Uh, people will probably recognize him best from Ghostbusters. He's the guy at the Sedgwick, which is the first bust where they uh, they get Slimer and they're like they're first decked out in their suits and everything. Um, he's the guy when he go they go to the elevator. He's like, "What are you supposed to be? Some kind of cosmonaut?" And then they talk about the cockroaches, yada yada yada. Um, 
so that is my brother-in-law's grandfather. Um, my wife, because my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law have been together like since like high school forever. My my wife grew up with Murray Rubin, and she like as essentially her, her, like her grandfather. Like they were very close. Um, and when I proposed to my wife, I did it at the Biltmore in downtown LA, which is where they filmed the Sedgwick. And we, I did it by the elevator scene where Murray and I basically, I stood where um, Dan Aykroyd stood and I was like, oh, Myra, here you go. This is where, you know, your grand, grandfather stood, where Murray stood. And she's like, you know, a little teary eyed. She's looking around. And as she's like sort of looking around, she gets back to me and I'm on my, you know, my knees and, Aww. you know, I'm crying. Um, and she's like, why are you crying? <laughs> and I'm proposing. But it was a way I wanted because he can't be he couldn't be in the wedding, even though we didn't end up actually having a wedding. It was a, a way of bringing him into, you know, our lives like that. And then. The weird side note of all that is I can still remember as a kid seeing Ghostbusters and I was also kind of raised by my grandpa. Uh, he didn't have a New York accent or anything, but like I've somehow gravitated for some reason I gravitated towards that scene in Ghostbusters and specifically towards the quote unquote cosmonaut guy because that's what I would call him as a kid. And so it turned out to be like my favorite scene in one of my favorite movies of all time. And then lo and behold, you know, 25 years later, 30 years later, I'm, you know, married, I'm brother-in-laws with, you know, with his grandson. It's just a weird thing like like oh even as even when i first met myron i heard about this i'm thinking to myself like like what are the chances like it's such yeah. an obscure character in my favorite movie but it's also my favorite scene like what are the chances that this connection would happen so we're watching the movie the scene pops up with murray and we both just look at each other and we're like is that fucking murray and we we paused it and then i took a picture of the screen and i sent it to my brother-in-law and he was like, holy shit. And I, I do want to say what I want, I want to say what my brother-in-law texted back. He goes, holy shit, dude. Nobody knows about that movie. My grandpa was actually really proud of that one for some reason. Is there a character with a Great Dane? Is is there is his character the one with the Great Dane? And I was like, yeah, his character has a Great Dane. So I wish I knew why Murray was so proud of it. I assume it's because he got, he got really good close-ups in it. Like, he got a lot of dialogue and he got... He got more close-ups than he did in Ghostbusters. Um, but I would love to have asked him about this, and we could have interviewed him or something. But uh, it's awesome, man. When I saw this, it just, man, my, my face just lit up. And and you know what? You made my brother-in-law's day. You made my sister-in-law's day. You made Myra's day with, with Dr. Mor Mordred. And I know you didn't intend to, but it just worked out that way. So thank you, man. Oh, I intended to. <laughs> no, I, I that's cool. That's really cool to hear. And thank you for sharing that story because – it's it it is a memorable small but memorable role and i could see why he probably enjoyed it because yeah besides the close-ups it's it's kind of a it's just a fun moment it's a fun scene that maybe didn't serve a whole lot of purpose but it's re regardless it's it, it it's a it's a moment that makes you smile and go oh this, this is cool this is cool i like this little exchange between him him and well, I'm not gonna give her. Well, I'll give her a name, but she plays. Uh, she plays Mrs. Golden, uh, uh, Pearl Shear. She doesn't have an IMDb photo. How dare you, Pearl? She passed away in 20, uh, 2009 at the age of 91, but she was in High Anxiety. So I'll shout that out because that's one of my favorite Mel Brooks movies. But anyways, they have a nice exchange back and forth. And um, yeah, no, he's great. He's great, man. So what a, what a cool connection that is. And yeah, I wish I could have said I planned that, but I had no idea 
until I started watching it. And I'm like, oh, that's the dude from Ghostbusters. Oh, and then you reminded me. Oh, my gosh, that's so cool. <laughs> Anyways, that's awesome, man. Yeah, thanks, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I, love I loved it. it. I love it. And you, and like I said, you made their day too. So right on, right on. Well, I hope to make you guys' day with this breakdown. Uh, but before we get to the breakdown, one more name to rattle off. He's the main villain. The protect the he's the main villain. He's the antagonist of the film. He plays Cabal, Brian Thompson, who you guys know on TV Obscura. We've talked about him in Werewolf. We on TV Obscura. We've talked about him, of course. And um, Key West, Key West, and uh, we, Dustin and I, over at Two Dollar Leafy, had the honor and privilege of interviewing the guy uh, last month to talk about Cobra and his whole filmography. Actually, we we just started releasing Two Dollar Six Questions segment on our regular feed now, and you'll hear his uh, really fun Two Dollar Six Questions segment where he gives Corey a very nice uh, compliment for the fact that Corey brought up Key West on the show. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's so cool. And I mean, I dude, I love Brian Thompson. Uh, he's not my favorite Shao Kahn, uh, but that movie was terrible. It's not his fault. Uh, I liked him as Cabal. I thought he was hella cool in this movie, and I, I like awesome. his slicked back blonde hair with his, you know, what are those Wayfarers uh, sunglasses? And... They're like they're they are so nineties. I know, dude. Sunglasses. <laughs> They I are mean, so nineties. I love it though. It's it's great. It's fair. and he, you know, he's, dude, he's doing so much work in this movie, and him and Jeffrey Combs, I think, are a great sort of counterbalance because Jeffrey Combs is very like subdued but not sleepy. He's very aware, like you know, he's he's very into this movie, but he's kind of like like a little bit more mellow. Whereas Brian Thompson's character is a bit bigger and grandiose, but that's. It's perfect that way. It's it really is, and the way they both portray these these two characters, it's a it's a great face off, man. Yeah, it really is. He acts his butt off, and I think he is. I think he's a very underappreciated actor. He gets work. He's working all the time. I think he's working right now, um, but I don't think he gets the appreciation that he deserves. Obviously, fanboys love him from his genre stuff, but like Corey pointed out when we brought up Key West on TV Obscura when he brought that to the table. Like, the guy is a dynamic dude. He's got so much more going on than these one-note villains that he plays. And, in fact, he wants to do way more research than sometimes directors allow him to, case in point, with Cobra. Dude, I mean, just watch Cobra, Dr. Mordred, and um, Key West, and you will see Brian Thompson acting completely different in every single one of those those his stuff. It's fanta- He's fantastic. I love the dude. I love the dude, too. Um, it remind me during the breakdown to bring up the connection that Jeffrey Combs has with Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, okay. But I mean, until, I won't remember, so just tell us now. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, so uh, in Dr. Mordred, which we will talk about in just a moment, he has a raven as a, uh, a watcher that kind of watches over his, uh, his lair. And... I saw Jeffrey Combs perform as, do a one-person play as Edgar Allan Poe way back in the day. Cool. It was like, a, it was like almost a two-hour uh, play that he did at the Steve Allen Theater, which I don't believe is even around anymore in Los Angeles. Uh, that's the exact same place where I saw the reanimator, the musical, way back when, where Curtis Armstrong, a.k.a. Booger, was in the audience <laughs> and um, got to shake his hand and meet him after the show. 
and they sprayed blood on the audience in the front row. It was hilarious. It was amazing. It was like everything you would expect from a musical based on reanimator. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, he performed as Edgar Allan Poe and he was phenomenal full makeup. It was like, you know, I think Val Kilmer did the same thing with Mark Twain. Um, but this was Edgar Allan Poe and I love Edgar Allan Poe so much. And I think Jeffrey Combs does too. So, uh, the, the Raven in Dr. Mordred is named Edgar. Yeah. After yeah, Edgar yeah. Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Well, without further ado, Let's get to some old school full moon entertainment. In a Manhattan apartment, Dr. M. Tom Mordred has stood guard between our world and the dark dimensions. Now, after centuries of waiting, evil's ultimate warrior has arrived. is a demon who uses mortals to do his bidding. What difference does it make if I want this dying planet? A sorcerer is not a god. It would be beyond the apocalypse. Our powers can be amusing. This man's gotta die! Dr. Mordred, Master of the Unknown. So uh, one little caveat, and it's a little bit of, it's a obvious, uh, well, it's a complaint about the Full Moon Blu-ray. They don't have the original intro to Full Moon Entertainment. It's a new one, um, more digitized. But the original one with the music and just kind of the, it just brings back all the nostalgic vibes. So if you want to watch this version like the original like VHS version, it's available on YouTube. You can find it. I think it's on Tubi. No, I think the Tubi version actually uses the new Full Moon logo. Um, but I think you can find the original on YouTube somewhere. Just FYI. Or get the VHS tape from eBay if you don't already own it, like Robert Ortiz probably owns it. Okay, movie just opens straight after the Full Moon logo. Credits roll while we get a cool shot of Mordred's office, books, fashionable lights, statues you know shit like that and a crow named edgar Allan poe dude um, we, i don't want to like stop you right away but man i can talk for 20 minutes about his apartment well it, that's why i was so abbreviated with my description because i figured you would do that dude it's awesome do you want to point it, out the espresso machine and the vhs I, tapes on the walls yes i mean i have, I have everything for, you know it's 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 freaking it's fantastic it's, it's got a huge world map on the back an elaborate coffee maker you know it's it's so freaking cool like and it's like a double like roof ceiling you can tell it's a like a sound stage or something but yeah but it looks like a uh, it's supposed to be new york by the way yeah. this is supposed to be set in new york even though they probably shot it in los angeles uh yes i would say a lot of the pickup shots um are location like the I, but i think they probably just you know get 
footage, you know, when you buy footage, you know. But uh, yeah, everything shot around L.A. But the the apartment itself is awesome. It's massive. Um, he has this giant world map that's like like two stories tall. Like the whole apartment's like two stories tall. That's how big it is. Bookshelves and everything. It's really damn cool. And also, there's this fantastic score that's playing, uh, you know, over the whole thing by by Richard Band, and it's it's so superhero-y and great. Um, but the the apartment reminded me. Aside from Doctor Strange, and guys, we don't really need to call it every Doctor Strange reminder because it is what it is. It is it is a Doctor Strange script that's been retooled. So all of Doctor Strange's stuff is in it, the cape, the medallion, stuff like that, but but they, they spin it. What it kind of reminded me of, though, was The Shadow um, with Alec Baldwin. Oh, yeah, uh, I can see the, that. How he has kind of like, you know, a lair, but it's inside yeah. the city. I always find that kind of interesting. Like, I know we all know Batman's Batcave is like sort of on the outskirts of the city. Um, but I think it's neat when like the Shadow and Dr. Mordred actually have theirs inside the city, like on the, on the, you know, the, the penthouse of some awesome building or something. Yeah, totally. And for the record, I love Dr. Strange and I love the. I love the Doctor Strange character in the MCU, mm-hmm. at least the first one. Loved it. So uh, I think that probably added to my fuel of picking this one um, for sure. And then, yeah, so he's got a ton of VHS tapes. And it's kind of implied that that he records all the events going on in the world because yeah, he's kind of he's keeping got like an eye. He's got multiple monitors and stuff. And yeah, yeah, he's got yeah. tons of monitors kind of watching news programs from all over the world and just keeping an eye on all the weird things that could be popping up. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's very progressive as far as the concepts go. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, So after the long credit scene, and so the credits in the beginning and end total close to 10 minutes, so, uh, you know, this is like a 60-minute movie. Um, The camera fades, and then you see these two eyes appear in, like, space, right? It's Monitor. Monitor speaking to Dr. Mordred saying the death's head will seek you out suddenly you see mordred who seems to be like floating in space replying back do you know when monitor says no and if i did i would not stop it mordred says i understand monitor monitor says i wish you well and then fades away and of course i'm getting vibes of like the watcher or something from marvel yeah totally totally mordred is dressed in his blue cloak with his blue kind of silky outfit that obviously looks different than the VHS cover art. But you know what? This is like, this is his costume. Yeah. And it's fantastic. I just wish he had the cape in the final scene. The cape makes the costume because the cape has that golden interior to it. Whereas everything else is blue without the cape. He has no like accent colors at all, you know, and I'm just like, oh, the cape is baller, dude. The whole outfit is great, but it has to have the cape. Yes, yes. Before the monitor goes away, Mordred says, I took an oath. And when the time comes, I'll have the courage to meet the death's head and beat it back. By the way, we never see the death's head. I think Cabal is the death's head. Oh, you think so? We see just like a minion of the death's head. I took it as they were just referring to Cabal as the Death's Head. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay, yeah, I'll give you that. Because I don't, I think Death's Head's supposed to mean, like, killer, I think. I don't think it's supposed to be a, like, it's a, what's that term, like, not monocle. Anyways, I think, that's what I think. Okay, interesting. Okay, I'll give you that. Okay. Monitor says the spirit is, that spirit, talking about Mordred, is why I chose you for this mission, Mordred. 
but the courage alone won't be enough. That's when Mordred kind of reacts to what, what Monitor says, and the camera slowly fades out with Monitor's eyes closing out the scene. Cut to Rio de Janeiro, stock footage of that famous statue that we always see. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's the word I was looking for, stock footage. Yes, yeah, so cut to Rio de Janeiro, stock footage, then cut to the San Fernando Valley. Yeah, probably, uh, you know, something somewhere off of Mulholland Drive. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, some some hiking trail. But there's, it's a barren road. Uh, there's some, oh, it's it's barren road other than a dude with a donkey, which I think is supposed to signify that you're in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yes. A, cu- uh, a, a truck is driving down the road. It's a armored bank car. The driver is speaking to, uh, the driver is driving down the road. He's speaking to his partner in the back of the truck in another language. Uh, the guy in the back suddenly pulls a gun out and kills the driver. Truck stops, and the guy who shot him gets out of the truck, takes three steel boxes out of the back of the truck, and puts them on the road. Come on, Zach. You have to use quotation marks with steel boxes. Because, all right, guys and gals, you didn't three need to do Three cardboard it. boxes that are spray-painted silver. <laughs> Is that better? <laughs> yes. Wooden boxes, spray painted. So, hey, look, it's full moon. It's low budget. Uh, we're going to call the fun stuff out. This isn't, you know, Mystery Science Theater 3000. We're not shitting on it, but we got to call it out, especially since Myra was like, this is just wooden boxes, spray painted silver. It's like, of all the things to show a close up of, you know, like, I mean, he actually does a lot of close ups in this movie, which is great yeah. on the actors, but. You could you could leave some things you know in the background a little bit and try to try to sell it a little you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, because <laughs> my Myra became the Leonardo DiCaprio one you know meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She just points at the screen. She goes, "Those are wooden boxes spray painted silver." You know. <laughs> well, I was I will say this, uh, and this is uh, maybe a compliment to Charles Band. These movies made me think that I could make a movie. Okay. I completely <laughs> understand that. I mean that in the that. good and bad way. Dude, as somebody who would take my dad's VHS camera and shoot stupid, crappy... Uh, think of... Think of the... Remember in, in Cyborg when they were going through the woods and they encountered, like, the, the wood wastelanders? Like, yeah. I had a lot of woods in my backyard, so I would kind of re- replicate scenes sort of like that like it was supposed to be a post-apocalyptic world and everything but it was movies like this not this one maybe per se but it was movies like this where when you do see that it's a wooden crate just spray painted silver you're like oh my god i I could do that i could make this and this movie is so economic i actually think Honestly, I think someone should show this in film school and be like, this is how you make a movie so economically, but everything, everything fits, you know, nothing's, it's goofy, but it's not laugh out loud goofy. You're just like, okay, I see how you do that. And you just move on because the, the movie's enjoyable, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, we'll continue to point out the flaws and all, the warts and all, because trust me, they're going to keep coming in about 30 seconds because... I, I, I mean, non-stop. Pulling up, it's going to be pulling from up now in a Jeep, the next hour. <laughs> pu- pulling up in a Jeep uh, is wearing a f- very flowy, dare I say, Seinfeld-esque pirate shirt. Yes. Uh, well, I want to be a pirate. <laughs> is, is Cabal with his beautiful blonde mullet and his cool 80s... Uh, there's a famous photo of Stallone with his beautiful mullet wearing the same sunglasses. They're like, 
they're like weightlifter, uh, you know, beach, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, uh, wave. What is the thing that, what, what is the thing that, uh, Kenny Powers is riding around on the water? Uh, uh, jet, yeah, ski. like jet skis. Jet like, skis. Yeah. You're yeah. wearing your jet ski sunglasses <laughs> back in the day with your mullet. That's what he looks like. Yep. So he's like all decked out in kind of his like traditional garb with these kick-ass sunglasses on. He opens up the cardboard boxes. Um, <laughs> so he has his own case with some weird bottles inside. I just wrote weird bottles, but they're various colors. Uh, the guard that blew the other guard's brains out is just watching. Cabal approaches the bank boxes with the open bottle and says, Beyond the barrier of heaven and earth, let it go free. Into a closed dwelling may it cause it to enter. It's very like Jerry Dandridge-esque from when Jerry turns into a vampire. Amy. And Brian Thompson's doing a lot of like, face motion and stuff yes. i love it man he's he's eating it up and it, it's great it's it's what you need in a movie like this you don't want people to to kind of give like small performances this movie needs people to give big performances. no he's great and I, he's great I, I i poke a little fun but it's but he's fantastic yeah. he continues as he's pouring the liquid on the box prima materialis Release this blood of the earth so it may find its place with the philosopher's stone. Suddenly, the boxes vanish. He takes off his shades, looks at the guard and says, You're no longer needed. Guard takes his gun, puts it to his head, and pulls the trigger and kills himself. Fade to black to a New York skyline. Dude, this was hella dark. So, I didn't know that this was rated r or unrated or whatever i kind of thought it was going to be pg ish um i knew it was straight to video but, but i kind of figured it was going to be more pg ish and so at this point i'm still like oh that's that's pretty dark and it's not until you know uh we get the full frontal nudity that i was like oh this is uh rated r or unrated <laughs> or whatever if they took out that scene and edited certain scenes this could have been a pg movie that is my note, and I was gonna, I was gonna bring it up then and discuss it, but you just brought it up. So let's talk about it now. Um, you could easily turn this movie into a PG film if you took out that scene, and honestly, you could just take it completely out, and it'd be okay. Um, and then maybe if you didn't have the the gunner's gory eyes in a little bit, but other than that, it could totally be PG. But now. You know, thinking that in my head while I was watching it or after watching it, I was like, but it was never intended to go to the theater. So who cares if it's edited for PG? I think that's not going to help it on VHS. What will probably help it is the nudity because that might get people to sort of word of mouth and bring it back. So I, I yeah. ultimately think they made the right choice for the market at the time. But my but my wish is that they would actually put out a PG version that's edited for kids. So I could like show this to my nephew or something, you know? Yeah, totally. No, I agree. Like Trancers is pretty tame to show people, kids, yeah. you know? Yeah. This could have been too, but they blew it. Um, <laughs> or did they? Or did they? We'll find out. So the, so you get a beautiful shot of New York skyline at night. and then Another probably close, stock footage shot, you know? Yeah, a lot of stock footage. Then you close in on... Anton Mordred, sitting in his chair in his home, waking up from a trance. And can I just say, I'm, I'm pulling to you, but um, 
I really noticed Richard Band's score right here when he was flying back to his body. It kind of has this ethereal, you know, floatiness to it that I thought was ap- absolutely perfect. Yeah, I totally agree. I love it. It's it's again, you can hear the synth scores and you probably did it on a keyboard, but it sounds fantastic. He has his amulet in his hand. Uh, he puts it away. You see a quick glimpse of the amulet and it's got like a like a backwards C with a line through it at the bottom. Turns off his music and he hears barking and yelling outside in his hallway. Cut to a hallway of two old people arguing. Who are those old people? Well, one of them is Mrs. Golden and the other is your boy. Yeah, Murray Rubin. And he's got a giant Great Dane with him named Baby. And they're arguing about Baby, Mr. Bernstein's dog. You know, and she's like, how do you expect anyone to get any sleep for God's sakes? And Mr. Bernstein says, the least says we can have pets. And this goes on actually for a really long time. I'm not going to read all the dialogue in this scene, but you get the point. They're arguing about why, you know, she's she's arguing that it's three o'clock in the morning. And, and Mr. Bernstein's like, he needs to go for a walk. And she's like, if I can't sleep, then nobody sleeps. And then uh, he's like, you're threatening me. You're some kind of big deal lawyer, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're not wrong. Murray Murray definitely had a, had a <laughs> specific way of talking. Yeah, it is very New York, though. You yeah. Know? yeah. And she's like, she's like, no, but my nephew Morris will be starting law school in two years. And he's like, why wait? And they go to uh, the burnt... Bernstein and Golden go to Sam Hunt's door and knock on her door. She opens up her door. Remember, guys, this is supposed to be three in the morning. It's supposed to be, but every shot of this hallway, the windows are lit like it's daytime. Every shot. And yet every shot we see the hallway, it's supposed to be nighttime. Isn't that odd? (laughs) So in my mind... No joke. In my mind, I lived my first apartment. I lived in when I moved down to Sherman Oaks. Moved down to Southern California. I lived in Sherman Oaks. Uh, the, in the hallway, there was a really bright, like, like, uh, like, uh, you know, spotlight almost right above the window. Maybe okay. catch burglars or whatever. I'm gonna give it a pass and say that's what it's for, even though it's clearly on a soundstage and there's just bright light in the background well my question to you is is it a soundstage because i was wondering if it was just like a rented mansion made to look like uh uh, an apartment or something because if you were gonna build this as a set wouldn't you make it look more like an apartment complex it's almost like uh, was uh, we saw an apartment complex in some movie and I want to say, or, or a house that maybe was converted into an apartment, maybe it was like Witchboard or something like that, Tawny Catane's area. But it's like you could tell that it wasn't an apartment. It was, you know, a mansion or something. It yeah. felt the same way here. It felt like they just rented a mansion and then shot this hallway scene and pretended it was an apartment complex. Or I've never really spent much time in New York. Maybe this is an old converted, like, giant mansion in the middle of the city, like one of those high-rise mansions or something, and it's been converted into a, a an apartment. And you could probably world-build that because this is Mordred's apartment. You're going to find out that he owns it, and maybe it was his mansion at one point, and he just was like, well, I don't really need it as a mansion, so let me do that. But I just found it odd that it doesn't look like an apartment, and it looks daytime every time that they're here. <laughs> yes. Low budget. 
We're going to call it all out, but doesn't mean we, we don't love this movie. We are. We are. So at the same time, when uh, when they not when Sam answers her door to Bernstein and Golden, Mordred comes out of his apartment at the other end of the hallway to observe what's going on. They start asking Mrs. Hunt. Well, Bernstein says, Miss Hunt, you're a policewoman. Mrs. Golden is threatening to sue me because baby barks when he wants to go out at night. But my lease says I can have pets. And my dog is a pet. And dogs bark. Of course, Sam replies and says, I'm not a policewoman. I'm just a research consultant to the police department. Oh, thank you for all that information, Sam. <laughs> Thanks for the uh, exposition dump. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, you know, if she says consult. He goes, then consult and tell like her the line, laws on my side. Line. Yeah, it is. A, he, he has good lines and this is a good exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, um, Golden says, if you're so connected, Missy, if you're so connected, you tell him to keep that dog quiet or I'll throw him in jail. And then Sam, of course, is kind of on the side of Mrs. Golden because she says, look, you got to keep baby quiet because she can call the police about a noise complaint. And then, of course, she replies, 911. <laughs> yeah. But I do like how, how then Sam looks at Mrs. Golden is like, well, then I can also tell the police that I can hear your TV through the wall. And exactly. then everybody will be in jail except for baby. And I thought that was a great little sort of comeback and shut the fuck up, you know? Yeah, it, it's great. And that actor, she's good at what she does. She plays yeah. that annoying, like, be quiet, you're annoying character, which is good. They go their separate ways, go their separate ways. And then after they leave, Sam's still out in the hallway and she eyes Anton Mordred and he eyes her. Oh, sorry. Right before that, really quickly, I must mention that Mrs. Golden says, I'm going to talk to my nephew Morris and the building manager. And Sam says, you mean the invisible man? Yeah. yeah because that, they never should, see him. Yep. That and should be called out. Good call. That's important. That yep. is important. Uh, and so they go their separate ways. I'm not going to sing again, but now it's in your head. You're welcome. <laughs> and she's walking towards uh, Mordred, and she says, they say the 100 years ago, New York was a nice place to live. And Mordred goes, it was. And she kind of takes a step back and goes, it was? And he goes, well, it looks like it. And then he eyes the photos on the wall, and there are photos on the wall of their property 100 years ago. So nice job, Mordred, even though we know that he was there 100 years ago. Yeah, and I like that exchange. I, I think it's really, really cool. I think their exchange is great. Their relationship is really, it feels very realistic. She says, you know, I've been here since Christmas, and this is the only, this is only the second time I've ever seen you. He goes, well, I work a lot. She goes, well, me too. She apologizes for the commotion, and, and she says, you know, I'm kind of curious about something, though. And right as she starts to walk towards him and say something, Mordred presses his amulet which is around his neck and you see a flash of light and she freezes mid-sentence he goes back in his apartment she unfreezes looks around and he's gone and she kind of like startles like what's going on right she goes back to her apartment do you think men in black ripped this off totally didn't it come out maybe a year or so later yeah, mid-90s. But then again, it was also based on a Malibu comic book. But I don't remember if the Neuralizer thing was in the comic book. I'm going to say would not be surprised if it was influenced by, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, Mordred's now in his apartment, and he's talking to his bird, Edgar. And he goes, you know what? She's right, Edgar. A hundred years ago, this was a nice place to live. He walks towards his wall of TVs. 
you mentioned the giant world map that's next to the TVs. It's important to point out because it will play a huge part in this movie in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ejects a cassette from the VCR. He writes a date on it. Jeffrey Combs has fantastic handwriting, by the way. He does. I know. Can he write my term papers for me? <laughs> uh, he writes crime report, Middle East, June 25th, 1991, uh, 3.20 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, USA. I only point that out because this movie came out in 92, so it tracks with them. They probably wrote the date of when they were shooting this movie. Yeah, yeah no, they clearly they filmed in 91, yeah. Right. He overhears and sees an anchor on the television series giving a news report about a shocking incident that happened in Rio de Janeiro. A shipment of plutonium uh, is missing and not been found, That and that the fact that the one of the guards was killed or both guards were were killed. So it's basically the thing they saw, we saw in Rio de Janeiro. Exactly. And side note, there's no subtitles on this Blu-ray. And that's a little frustrating when it comes to things that are being mumbled on TV. Because you watch it three or four times, you're like, eh, they'll get the point. I thought you were going to call that out when you said, the one bad thing about this Blu-ray. And I was like, oh, no subtitles. And you're like, it doesn't have the old full moon intro. And I was like, I was waiting for you to mention the the lack of subtitles. I thought we were going to burn the Blu-ray for that one. Well, we could because the Blu-ray costs like 10 bucks. So there you go. Um, (laughs) I meant verbally burn it. Yes, well, both. Yeah, we're not going to physically burn it. If Charles Band is listening to this, we will not do that. And can I just say that now we're sort of digging into, you know, Jeffrey Combs' character in in this movie. I realized when I watched this that, like, you know, I'm so familiar with Reanimator and From Beyond Jeffrey Combs and even the Frighteners version of Jeffrey Combs. It's actually really cool to see him play this very – it's not – subtle but it's it's very sweet he he plays he's playing the ultimate good guy yeah and the he, hero you know, yeah. yeah and the hero and he's not that in reanimator and he's not really that in from beyond either because both of those movies are sort of dark and twisted here i realize i'm like wow jeffrey combs is great as just playing a straight up superhero good guy and i like everything he does in this movie and like yes brian thompson plays it bigger but Jeffrey Combs plays it very aware and and not subtle, but just like aware and on purpose constantly. Yeah. Uh, what is the the Heather Thomas movie? Is it called Cyclone or or, or the, the the one where she's the like motorcycle kind of po- one? The motorcycle one. Yeah. Uh, Cyclone or Tornado or something like that. I, I think know he's Cycl- in that. Okay, I know Cyclone is a movie about a lady with a motorcycle or something. I think that's the one. And and he plays like her love interest and he gets killed, I think, in the beginning. But he's like a hero type in that as well. And um, it's nice to see him in that role because we don't see him that that way. I think that's why when I saw him, when I saw he was coming out in The Frighteners and he plays this really weird kind of sick, demented guy. And I'm like, oh, man, I want to see him more in hero role again. But I really like his character in Frighteners. That was fun. Oh, I mean. He crushes that, so yeah. there you go. And I love that movie, by the way. Me too, me too. That could be a future pad movie. Mm-hmm. From there, he opens a large freestanding like metal case, and inside there are a bunch of scrolls, ancient scrolls. He attaches one of the scrolls to uh, like another. He attaches it so it's kind of like on a on a conveyor belt, so he can see the whole map, the scroll map. He takes out a sextant. And I know it's called a sextant because I had to look that up. Um, 
And someone pointed out, well, he doesn't use it the right way. Who cares? It's a movie. Get over it. Uh, he <laughs> takes out the sextant and he like surveys this spot on the map. After he does that, he says the time and place check. And he goes over to his large map on the wall, finds Rio and puts a push pin in on like with a flag on it on Rio. And I like that. It wasn't just he heard it on the the news report and then just put the 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 pin there. Like he did this like thing to verify it. And yeah, whatever it is, I thought it was cool. I thought it was interesting, and I just took it as some sort of magic shit, you know. But I yeah. like that there was an extra step that he had to do to sort of verify what he heard. Yeah, exactly. And he he steps back and speaking to his bird, he says, "This could be a coincidence, Edgar, or the first sign." Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. And now, back to the show. Cut to the police station uh, at night, and you're introduced to Guadio, who, Detective Guadio, who is works with Sam, and he's in the middle of having a conversation with her, he goes, okay, I admit it. They're, they're like in his office, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. She's looking at files. He's looking at something on his desk. He goes, I admit it. If you hadn't translated that Egyptian garbage, that nut wrote on the victim's bedroom wall, we never would have nailed him. Sam says, it wasn't Egyptian. It was Urdu. The death curse of facet. Detective replies, which gave this Yahoo the idea to stuff his grandmother into a trash compactor. I know. She goes, you guys didn't have a clue. He goes, there are a lot of good detectives busting their asses on this case. She, and Sam says, including me. And Guadio says, I mean real detectives. Yay. Dick. Yeah, he's, told, he's a dick to her. And she, but she sticks up for herself too. And then Guadio says, why do you got to make it so tough? Come on, let me show you the city's appreciation. Hitting on her at this point. Yeah. Sam says, yeah, the mayor sends me a Christmas card every year. Guadio says, I could do a lot more for you. I can do a lot more for you than that. And Sam says, then talk to the chief about giving his special consultants a raise. Guadio says, I was thinking about dinner. Sam says, I know what you were thinking about. It shows. And she goes, I got to go. I'm late. <laughs> Dude, man. It's piece of the, shit. He's a piece of shit. I know. And he's, it's the early 90s. It's that whole machismo thing. I'm going to be a complete dick to you. And then I'm going to ask you out, assuming you're going to like me because I'm good looking and I got a solid head of hair. Exactly. Which he still has, I think, by the way, in his IMDb photo. Yeah, no, he so does. So God bless him. Yeah. 
Cut to a lecture hall at night. Sam is walking in as Mordred is talking about the San Francisco serial killer known as the Zodiac Killer. Sam opens up a program for the evening and says, Criminal Minds and the Supernatural by Dr. Anton Mordred. I wrote this down because it's important. This is what Mordred was saying about the serial killer. In San Francisco, a killer who claimed his actions were dictated by the signs of the Zodiac terrorized that city for months. Although such a defense wouldn't hold up in court, there is a medical precedent for such a claim. The cycles of the moon have been proven to affect the tides, magnetic polarity, and human behavior. The word lunatic comes from the Latin lunus, which means moon. Hey, whenever things get too crazy, someone always remarks, there must be a full moon tonight. Which explains what you're all doing here. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone laughs. <laughs> and by the way, I wrote this because um, uh, I always write down the scene and everything. I just wrote that as, this as Mordred's TED Talk. <laughs> this is TED Talk. He goes, the, and this is cool because uh, for the most part, the, the camera is directly on Combs speaking. And this yeah. is a lot of dialogue to get out. Yeah. No, I love he, it. This is great. I love everything he's saying. Yeah. He says, the basis for criminology is an understanding of the human mind, psychological motivations, thought patterns, and so on. But what is very often rejected by so-called experts is that our thoughts and beliefs are influenced by much more than what we experience here on the mortal plane. Mysticism, the supernatural, and the supernormal have been a part of man's experience from the beginning, and they cannot be ignored. Suddenly, Mordred checks his pocket watch and looks at a picture of himself and a woman from many a long time ago. If the criminal embraces the fantastic as his motivation for violent behavior, can we afford to ignore motivations simply because they don't fit into our own limited notions of, or of the order of things? I think not. Oh, thank you. Audience bursts into applause, and Mordred bolts Faster than the Flash does in the new movie that apparently sucks. Uh, Myra and I remarked, did he use his magic to make them all give him a standing ovation? <laughs> oh, sick burn. Sick so burn. <laughs> my question to you is, and it's never resolved or addressed, but I was waiting for it to happen. I thought when he looked at that old picture of him and his old-timey wife, is that is she played by Yvette Nipir? Like, I don't think so. I thought it, and I don't think so either on the second time I watched it, but at first I was, I was expecting that to be the plot line of his relationship with her is that she was the reincarnated, you know, his wife. I, I mean, I don't think it was, I like that idea. I get the sense that he just hasn't been with anybody since her. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's the answer right there. Um, I think I was just expecting it to be deeper, but it doesn't have to be. That's that's like yeah. not necessary. And if anything, that would at this point, that would be cliche. It would be cliche. Cliche. <laughs> <laughs> Insert fake whore. Um, <laughs> fake whore. <laughs> cut to Mordred's apartment building. He goes to his door and there's a keypad right next to his door. It's very modern. Yeah, that's uh, cool. Unlocks his keep. Unlocks his door via the uh, what is that called? What do we have now? The um, what are those door things like called? The fobs or whatever. The door fobs. Yeah, and... I mean, we all have those things now. You can order on Amazon. It, it punches it in. Walks in his house. Monitors are on once again, showing all the things going on in the world. Uh, he checks his watch, and and the broadcast continues. 
uh, news broadcast continues describing what has happened in uh, Rio, like another attack, right? The, the, the one, so this is a little confusing because the one earlier in the film is describing another uh, attack where right. things have been stolen. Right. And this is another attack. So, so we are to believe, even though it's not shown, but it's discussed throughout the film that Cabal has raided other places to get elements, Earth's elements, right? Yeah. Apparently one of the uh, screens is playing a full moon movie. I I read. Yeah, I read that, too. Yeah. So the newscaster goes on and says the industrial stones that are worth about a million remain a mystery as to their whereabouts. I believe they're diamonds. I think there are a million whatever that currency is. It's not like a dollars or something. Yes. So uh, Mordred turns the volume down on the television and puts another pin on another location on the map. This time it's Cinepici which must have been where Cabal did the other th- uh, thievery, right? Yeah. Tomfoolery. Tomfoolery. Cut to the hallway of the apartment buildings. Sam's at his door asking for Mordred, but there's no answer. She walks away. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like she goes, she's coming back, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> Cut back to Mordred's apartment. Flips a switch by one of the old bookcases. and The front slides away, revealing a large closet. Inside the closet is his flowing blue cloak and the amulet. The amulet glows. Mordred puts it around his neck. Again, very superhero-y to have like this hidden, you know, place for your outfit and everything. Exactly. Mordred moves over to a like a, a box, but it has like a cool dragon on it with like a diamond encrusted um, jewel. Uh, with a latch he undoes the latch is the the arm of the dragon he opens up the latch and outside when he opens it up there's like a like a like a round glass orb uh that starts sparkling mordred steps away from the orb and then shouts out monitor contact me the orb starts pulsating and there's an electrical storm suddenly we cut to the outer space, and Monitor says, I am here. Mordred continues, The first and second signs have come to pass. Great quantities of basic alchemaic elements have been stolen at the times and places predicted. Monitor says, What does this tell you? Why does it sound like Robert Balzer? <laughs> From the old video man days. <laughs> yes, Mordred says, That the death's head has escaped. That is so. But how? You must cross over. You know my ability is limited. You must, and learn for yourself. It is not part of your duty. Mordred continues to stare at the crystal ball, and suddenly he's in some sort of like cosmic wind, and then his apartment starts getting like trashed. Mordred walks over to his the, the map, the giant map, and waves his hands. The map of the world opens up and there's a portal inside of the map so cool dude it's It's really cool i'm like i want that (laughs) dude and it's and it's like well constructed and everything because it's not just like the map just doesn't split in the middle or doesn't like move aside it's like a circle in the middle moves and he like walks through it like this is the cool shit this is the stuff that they didn't have to make it that elaborate but they did and it's really fucking awesome it really is 
the wind starts to build as this happens. Uh, books on his walls start setting on fire. Uh, newspapers, which I think is really amusing, are being blown all over the place. And I'm like, oh, he's a hoarder is what it is. <laughs> hey, that's research, buddy. That's all oh, research. <laughs> God, I walked in this guy's house one time and there were just stacks of TV guides everywhere. Antonio clippings. Oh, oh, God. Is this when you were, what, doing, working on carpet with your stepdad or something? No, this was a, my girlfriend's oh, okay. uh, place. She's like, Jeez. just step over everything. I'm like, including the toenail clippings? She's like, yeah. Was that come like to her, my room? Was that her dad or something? Yep. Oh, God. God. <laughs> the good old days. Uh, <laughs> so everything's burning. Uh, he, it's like his whole place is getting trashed right now, right? Yeah, and it's all because that they opened the – he opened that portal – and he's walking through it, you know, as every all this is happening, he's walking through that portal. And, you know, my, my wife kind of fixated on the, the the books burning and everything. And she's like, well, is the whole apartment complex going to burn down? And they kind of, like, do something with that in a little bit. But yeah. I just took it as the energy from the portal was just, just so strong that just shit was happening. You know, that's how I took it. And he hasn't had to do this in a really long time. Right. This so, is a. I took it as this is a big deal. It's not something that he does easily and frequently. Like, it's going to take a lot of energy to do this. Totally agree. He goes into the portal, the light beams, and suddenly you see this light shoot out into the fourth dimension. There is a planet in the middle of the universe that has a prison on top of it. It is awesome. It's a castle basically on top of a planet. It's right. really cool. Yeah, it's like floating there, and there's like, you know, it's rocks and stuff, but it's it's the ultimate prison because, you know, you can't escape it, you know, because you're just surrounded by space, essentially. And it here's the thing. It doesn't look the best, but I give it a pass because of how ambitious this movie is and how and the, 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 it's trying to be a giant MCU film, you know, 30 years before the MCU even existed, but it's trying to be that level of movie, but on a shoestring budget. And if anything, it's worth checking this movie out just to see them pull it off. Like how, how they the choices that they make, where they choose to spend the money and stuff like that. And I mean, it all works, you know, even if it's a little silly, I think ultimately every bit of this movie as a whole works because the ambition is just you feel it. You feel that they're really trying to make something special with this movie. Yeah, I'm not going to push back on what you're saying, but I personally love it because, again, it's it's so like little kid playing with your toys type stuff where if I saw this movie when I was like 10, I would have loved it even more because I'd be like, oh, that looks like my Masters of the Universe thing I do in my mind with my imagination. It's really cool. I think it's really cool looking. Uh, on the, on that shoestring budget, it's total world building. Like you have to just give in and have faith that you gotta love the fantasy. You just gotta love the fantasy, which we do. And yeah, and that's the kind of these are the kind of movies I do enjoy because I don't mind filling in the gaps, like world building and, and stuff like that. And yeah, 
it's 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 so it's inspiring and i would have felt the same way had i seen this when i was younger for the exact same reasons you felt the same way i mean i went to film school like i i love movies like when i was a kid yeah. you know like seeing stuff like this i love figuring out how they did it i i love that kind of shit you know and, and so like sometimes when you can see the wire of something floating i love that because then i get to see how it's made and stuff so yeah guys and gals just Go in with an open heart and an open mind to this movie, basically. Yeah, and, and the whole time we're talking fantasy, all I can think of is Aldo Nova's fantasy. <laughs> if you don't know that song, Fantasy by Aldo Nova, look it up. It's great. Um, so, yeah, the fourth dimension, this weird prison planet that looks like a giant dilap- uh, torn down castle. Actually, it looks a little bit like Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings, uh, where they go and meet the ring wraiths. Or yeah. the, sorry, the, like the phantom ghosts or whatever. Yeah. It kind of looks like that set. It's not too far removed from that. I'm like, this is pretty damn close to that. Yeah. Um, so Mordred appears on this planet. He's walking through the planet. He sees skeletons lying around. Hands appear out of nowhere from the ground, like zombie hands, grabbing his ankles. And then a man appears with a gun and says, move and you're dead. The man closes in towards Mordred and you see that his eyes have been ripped out of their sockets. <laughs> Correction, because he's going to say it. They've been melted and they look yes. gnarly. I love it. I think they it's fantastic. Cool. They do. Yeah, they, they look really cool. And I like this guy a lot. Gunner. He's he's only in this movie two sort of two scenes. Yeah. It's this one and a little bit later, but kind of like uh Adrian, that other character we'll see in a bit. He's fun. He's so he chews up the scene and I love watching this guy on on camera. Totally agree. Totally agree. At that point, Marjorie goes, Gunner, it's me. Gunner goes, well, I'll be damned. A friendly voice I never thought I'd hear as long as I lived. How the hell are you, son? <laughs> it's like uh, Santa Claus with a gun. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah, Mord- he's got like night armor on, sort of makeshift night armor with a little bit more like makeshift extra armor. But then he's got like a grenade launcher that's going to fire lasers later. I love all of it. I think that's great. I love seeing stuff like, you know, traditional night armor, but with a gun. I think that's cool, dude. Yeah, I think he looks kind of better than Man at Arms did in the Masters of the Universe movie. I mean, you're 100% not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and so Mordred says, I'm still at my post on Earth, Gunner. What happened here? Gunner says, we let our guard down. Mordred goes, Cabal? Gunner says, see for yourself. He killed I don't know how many during his escape. Last thing I saw was the firestorm he conjured. It would have been kinder to kill me. Instead, he melted my eyes from their sockets and left me here as an example of what a cosmic son of a bitch he is. And the makeup effect on his eyes are great. It's really cool, yeah. Mordred says, what about his followers? Where are they? Gunner says, he tried to take the hellspawn with him, but I beat him back with the last bit of magic I had in me. Now all I have to do is try and keep the lid on, those ugly bastards. You get a shot of a hatch cover with that same symbol that he has around his neck, that backwards C, upside down G, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And, you know, you hear the pounding from behind there that there's demons there, which is really cool. Gunner says, he's coming for you. He'll journey to the world of three dimensions and kill you. Mordred says, He's already there and gathering large quantities of Earth's elements. So it's too damn late, 
No. And don't sell Cabal short. He's a tricky son of a bitch and a powerful alchemist. <laughs> I, you may think I'm exaggerating the way I'm talking. He sounds just like that in the movie. Oh, yeah. No, you're, you're <laughs> nailing it, buddy. <laughs> it's like a Western guy. Yeah, it's great. I love it. It's, yeah, because it's a Western guy, but he's got armor on and he's got a gun. It's, it's a hodgepodge, and I, I love this character so much. <laughs> Me too. Mordred, suddenly at that point, Mordred says, I'm powerful too. He puts his hands over Gunner's eyes, and you see a beam of light, and he's restored Gunner's sight with a brand new set of eyes. Dude, I didn't. Gunner- I was like, there's no way he's going to do it. He did it. I was like, cool. Like, yeah, there's no reason for Gunner to walk around with, like, blown out eyeballs if, if yeah. he can fix them. This is a cool little thing. I like this. It's cool. And Gunner goes, sorry, Mordred says, you look good, old friend. And Gunner goes, by God, I bet I do. I love that line. I love it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and then Gunner says, thank you isn't enough, and there's nothing left here for me to give you. Mordred says, forget it, Gunner. Besides, you can't be a guard if you can't see. Hell, the monitors had you standing guard for a hundred man years. Do you see? That's kind of a cool idea. Like, I think I, my gathering is that he meant more to it than... Yeah. Being able to see with eyes. Yeah, no, that was a deep comment that kind of like a giant matzo ball on the table. It just gets left there. But I (laughs) thought that that was a cool comment, and I thought that it was ripe for examination, but it doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't, um, because Mordred says, I'm losing Earth time. Already days have passed since I've arrived here. And Gunnar says, well, get back and nail that son of a sorcerer. That's very Filmation-inspired line right there. That son of a sorcerer. And that's another cool thing that I liked. I like that while he's over here, and then there'll be a little bit more about it when he gets back and that he's been gone for like a week. I think that's so cool that that when he goes to another dimension, he's gone for you know longer than he's intended. I, I like that kind of shit. Yeah, me too. Me too. And again, that's, like, that's another concept that's like very current like in sci-fi and and stuff like that like going to another dimension and you you're going to lose time and stuff and and you know we've always had that with like fairy folklore and stuff but it just it seems very for movies it seems very current and 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 another reason this movie i feel like could totally fit right on the shelf with with the rest of the mcu like this could be happening when other mcu stuff is happening you know like this could fit perfectly on there and work a lot better. <clears throat> Probably, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. But if, you know, if, if, as much as Hawkeye kind of failed in some ways, we wouldn't have the sweet gingerbread man if that wasn't the case. Blasting in our ears again. So <laughs> They say their goodbyes, and you cut back to the apartment building, where Sam is approaching Mordred's apartment yet again. Mrs. Golding steps out and says, I wouldn't bother. I haven't seen him in a week. I tried to, con- I tried to invite him to join the tenants committee, and he didn't even seem to... And he didn't even answer my note. Sam looks back at her and says, I'll tell him all about it, Mrs. Golden. And she goes like, back now, to, now, good night. And it's now, daytime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's daytime. Yeah, bright light shining through. Sam touches Mordred's door and steps back because it's hot. She gets her hand slightly burned. So is that is that just from the energy of the portal, essentially? Yes. That's okay. what I'm taking, yes. Right. So it's not the, – the book's burning didn't really lead to anything. That was just a little byproduct. Yeah. And Mordred has magic, so whether there was a fire or not, he could fix it when he comes back. Okay. Which I think okay. is what he does. Yeah, and that's another thing. Like maybe 
those books burning did lead like his whole place could be engulfed in fire but the moment he walked back through that portal he'd be oh well this is bad let me fix this with my magic and then boom it's fixed okay so either way it technically it technically could go down that way yeah yeah okay sam runs over the fire alarm in the hallway and pulls it or cracks it rather suddenly you cut to mordred emerging back in his apartment cut back to firemen rushing down the hall two firemen one carrying a large axe tenants are all filed out of the rooms freaking out what's going on firemen grabs his axe and is about to chop the door with his axe <laughs> in that so same cool. dude this is i gotta call this one out i yeah. love this as the axe is coming down on the door fucking dr mordred opens it and grabs the axe bef- like an inch away from like landing in his skull it's great it's a awesome little scene it's it's great perfect timing because he grabs the axe right before it comes down on his head and he's like hey guys says, <laughs> everything's okay <laughs> yeah he's he goes yeah the fireman says this young lady called in a fire alarm and mordred goes there's no fire and sam says i knocked on your door earlier it was so hot my hand was burned i thought you were burning up in there mordred says thanks for your concern but i'm fine everything's fine Police officer shows up and says, I'm glad you're safe, sir. Sam says, I'm sorry, guys. Police officer says, haven't I seen you at the station? Miss Hunt, right? And Sam goes, yeah, that's right. Overworked and underpaid by the 10th precinct. Just like you guys, right? Officer says, eh, I just wanted to be sure I had the name right. Calling in a false alarm is against the law, lady. You'll be hearing from us. <laughs> and real quick, because uh, we're going to see him again. Um, that officer is played by Mark Phelan. Um, and he was in, uh, Al Pacino's, uh, Sea of Love. Um, he was in another 48 hours and, uh, yeah, he's still working to today, um, up to, uh, 2018. So, you know, he's still around, done a bunch of shit. He was actually in, uh, Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams movie, uh, played like a Romulan in that. So yeah, he's, he's doing stuff. And he, I, I, I kind of was like, he looks slightly familiar. Um, but I look at this and I'm like, yeah, not really, but. I like his look, and I think he does a good job as playing that sort of that asshole beat cop type of yeah. you know thing. Yeah, he plays it well. It's, yeah, you know, and, and it's a, it's a. I'm glad they followed up with that too. Like, yeah, you can't do this stuff, you know. Yeah. So everyone leaves, shuts their doors. Sam's still there, looking at Mordred. She shrugs, and he she goes, "God, you must be bored with me. I'm like your typical nosy neighbor. I won't bug you anymore." And Mordred goes, "You're not nosy. You're interested." And he motions to have her step inside his apartment, yeah. <clears throat> play with his video games, just like <laughs> Gordon Jump on different strokes. <laughs> she comes in and he's making an espresso for her coffee. Yeah, he's got the he's got the biggest coffee machine in there. I loved it. It's and it's such a big part of the set. And the first time that when they panned over it, I was like. Is, is that just a coffee machine? Is that what that <laughs> I know. Is? <laughs> I mean, it's supposed to be old. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I get it. I understand. There's also elements of Highlander in there, too, with the idea of he's been there for such a long period of time. And I, I Yes, I see that, and I kind of wish they leaned into that a little bit more. But, I mean, at an hour and, and 14 minutes, you know, it, they're going to just plow through things pretty quickly. Um, it's nice that we we get the moments that we get with such an economical film. I totally agree. Sam's taking it all in and very, very impressed by the large space that Mordred inhabits. She goes, you live here? 
She goes, these books are fabulous. Mordred says, I've had them a long time. She goes, this one's almost 200 years old. And she goes, did it go through a fire? And he goes, I did have a fire once. <laughs> Just not tonight. <laughs> and then she, suddenly you hear the Edgar squawk at her and she kind of startles and goes, who's this? And he goes, oh, that's Edgar Allen, my bodyguard. She says, I bet he's good at his job. Mordred goes, I can count on him. Sam's looking at all his books, and she goes, are all these books in the black arts? And Mordred says, yes, and criminology, demonology, and sorcery. And Sam holds up his amulet and says, druid? Mordred goes, what? She goes, "That this pendant, it's, it's great. Mordred says, no, not druid. That's something I, I had made privately. Now let me ask you a question. He kind of tries to dismiss it. He goes, why'd you come to my lecture? And she goes, part of my job. I'm a special consultant to the NYPD on homicide cases involving cults and Satanism. And Mordred goes, you really are a cop. And she goes, well, not exactly. She goes, talking to you, I feel underqualified for my job. Are you doing grant research? And he goes, I have a regular stipend, but I'm focused on only one subject. And Sam goes, demonology? Mordred gets serious and he goes, no, no, a man. <laughs> Cut to a church where we're introduced to Adrian and Irene. <laughs> Adrian, a.k.a. Andrew Garfield. Yes, and Irene, a.k.a. your private dancer, dancer <laughs> for money. She's dancing and freaking out, and Adrian's like, he's all excited. And uh, he she's plays singing it like, some... like tweaker esque, but but not quite. Like doesn't seem so drugged out, but he's so he's constantly like high energy. It's it's fun. I enjoy him. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. They look like tweakers, but they're not. She's a little bit more clear headed than he is. Yeah, she's just more like enamored. Actually, he has a line in just a moment that kind of sums up my feeling about the two of them, and I'll get oh. to that in a minute. Okay. So there's uh, he's like lighting candles and they're in a like this church is supposed to be kind of run down, but it looks just like a, a room, yeah. you know, it's a set. Irene asks if she's like, did you really speak to him? And then Adrian goes, dude spoke to me. He's a little bit like OD, a little bit from yeah. from Terror Vision. Yep. And they they kiss and she goes, Cabal could have picked anybody, but he picked us. And Adrian goes. He goes, this is like meeting Jagger backstage. <laughs> so my guess is like they're just like 80s rocker people who he if if Mick Jagger said, oh, you guys want to come backstage? Do you mind if that, you know, I'll take your girlfriend in the back and do a little ring and ding and ding dong? He'd be like, dude, totally. Because then I can tell everybody my my girlfriend had sex with Mick Jagger. Like he's yeah. just an obsessed fan is what he is. Yeah, they so they're are like kind of ultra fa- fans. Yeah. Fanboy esque of Cabal. Yeah. Yeah. Irene is asking if the spells are ready to be conjured or when the spells will be conjured. Adrian says, I don't know. He just said to have everything ready by midnight <laughs> and give us a sign of what to do next. And Irene says, and she gets like really serious and she, as she's lighting candles and she goes, well, we just got to trust. And suddenly there's a big explosion. There's a stained glass window that explodes and Cabal appears through like lightning storms. He and he smiles. gives like... And he, like, he gives him, like, a little smile smirk, you know? He's like, hey, guys, I'm here. Ah. And he goes, what's up? What's up? <laughs> what's up? You know that beloved commercial the, with the 
Oh, dude, I you know what? I never I never wanted that commercial to disappear. I always enjoyed it. I never hated it. <laughs> that's that's one of the best scenes in that Ant-Man and Wasp movie when uh, when uh, Michael Pena pulls up to Ant-Man and Wasp and he's like, what's up? You know that beloved commercial from the 90s? <laughs> beloved. Uh, <laughs> so great. Anyways, uh, yeah, Adrian and Irene look shocked. Cut back to Mordred with Sam and, and she goes, I should probably go. And real quick, you got to call out their awesome coffee cups, like oh, they're yeah. the like the glass. I love um, I love glass coffee cups for like something hot. I think that's awesome. But then it's got like a metal like holder thing that kind of keeps it in place. I don't know. They're they're really cool. I just kind of looked at that. I was like, I want those. I want those coffee cups. Yeah, my friend Daniel uh, was a very like eccentric dude who would always go to cool vintage shops or flea markets and find really unique stuff like that and like frosted cups and you know weird just funky i love all that funky stuff yeah me too sam says now that i made it into the inner sanctum i hope i'll see you again and mordred says well if i can be of any professional help uh, want to use my library feel free and then suddenly as she's walking out she looks down at on a little side table and sees an envelope and she goes is this my rent check how'd you get it mordred kind of doesn't say anything and she goes you own the building no wonder you keep such a low profile you're the landlord i mean look at his freaking apartment of course and then mordred says miss hunt you you won't spread it around will you (laughs) (laughs) but i like this shit man like this is the kind of stuff that i think is great little world building storytelling like i didn't expect him to be the landlord but when she figures it out i'm like duh that makes so much sense that he's the landlord well it's a simple way it it, like it it takes them five minutes to establish that they are fond for each other and you don't have all you don't have to have 20 scenes of like all this stupid dip uh you know what do you call it um I almost said deposition, but like, you know, all this expository type stuff. Exposition, thank you. Um, You know, it's something that Dustin on $2 Late Fee points out every now and then. He's like, I would chop half this movie out, you know? Right. And I get it. Like, I I do like movies sometimes, like Boogie Nights, case in point, where, you know, you have all these extra scenes, but you don't need those scenes. You just like those scenes. But then there's movies where they have all this extra stuff, and you're like, you could have cut all that out. We talk about it on our show. This is one of those movies where they pretty much chop everything out that, you know, they chop everything out. Yeah, no, this is one of those movies where we're just left with with the bare minimum, but it gets the job done. And, you know, I understand that they like each other from the, their looks, but the funny thing is we never actually see them kiss, you know. No, and, and I it, like that too, actually. Me too. And it doesn't become, spoiler alert, it almost becomes like a, a Doctor Who companion scenario versus a love interest scenario. Maybe it will become one later, but I just I like that it's not so cut and dry that I'm pining for you. It could just be a strong friendship, you know. They just they have a connection, and I think that's what's important for the story, and that's kind of all we need to know. Yeah, and they have a mutual respect for each other too. Exactly. Exactly. And then she she throws out the line, well, will you get someone to come and fix my garbage disposal? And he goes, done. Yeah. She goes, well, your secret's safe with me. She says goodnight to him, and then she says goodnight to Edgar, and she says, watch over the landlord, okay, Edgar? Which is, I thought was kind of cute. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Because most had... people would be freaked out, you know? No, I mean, ravens are awesome, man. They're like one of the smartest creatures on the planet. Right. 
cut back to the church where Cabal is observing the church and he goes, a house of worship in ruins. Very appropriate, Adrian. And Adrian says, hey, we were cast out of heaven, right? And Cabal says, that we were. Cabal opens up a case of jewels. Supposed to be diamonds, but, you know, they're... Yeah. They're yeah. clearly, you know, rocks that you can buy at the, the store. But, again, doesn't matter. Right. It's, it is what it is. You're, you just, just go with it. Adrian says, see, it's just like you wanted it. Irene is there, and she goes, it appeared right out of the sky. Cabal says, perfect. The wonders I can create from this primitive earth. And then he says to Adrian, what about the Concord Labs? <laughs> I love this. It's like, so like suddenly he's asking about something so specific. And Adrian goes, you can go anytime you want. We'd have to drive there. He's like, the place is in Jersey. <laughs> it's in Jersey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Cabal says, that can wait. Uh, and the cool thing is the Concord Labs don't come back to the conversation, really. No, they don't. But the Cosmopolitan Museum does, a.k.a. Yes. the Natural History Museum in Los Angeles. Yes, Oh, yep. A lot to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. He's like, well, that can wait then. <laughs> We're not going to Jersey. And Irene. And, <laughs> Fuck Jersey. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and he, he says, what about the Cosmopolitan Museum? And Irene says, I drew the map myself. Adrian goes, Irene can draw great. <laughs> I love that line. It didn't need to be in there. He's supportive of his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> she points out that the medieval exhibits are in the West Wing. And then a cabal says, what about the sentries, which obviously are security guards? Adrian goes, four. Does that bug you? <laughs> cabal goes, it's important to know the numbers of your enemies. And Adrian goes, I can kill them all for you, man. He goes, you don't have to tell us, but are you going to finance an army to slaughter the ignorant pigs? And Cabal smiles and goes, something like that dissolves to Corey's favorite scene in the movie. Adrian's gone. Yeah, Adrian's gone, and, and now, yeah, uh, uh, what's her name? Irene is there Irene. completely naked, full frontal and everything. Um, but again, unnecessary. If this wasn't in it, you could have had such a broader audience. And, you know, yeah. as much as I think it's a cool concept to have a rated R superhero movie, I don't know if quote-unquote Doctor Strange is the right vehicle for that. Like, something like The Crow is perfect for a rated R com you know, comic book superhero movie. And I wish there, even nowadays, I wish there were more adult rated R comic book movies. Um, but it just, it doesn't feel like this one is the right place. But I, at the same time, I understand the rationale behind it, especially Put yourself in the time frame, the, the VHS market and everything like that. There was no streaming. I, mean, I don't even think there was the idea of streaming wasn't even around in 92. That wasn't even a concept any of us were even going to get. We were still living in a world of VHS tapes. DVDs were right around the corner. You know, like that was the next step. So, like, I get it, man. I get Charles Band's rationale for putting this scene in. I do, too. Look, I totally get it, too. My personal preference is I wish he would have made it more kid-friendly because it would have been more accessible to, I think you would have garnered a bigger audience with kids because the kids would have wanted to re-rent it over and over again. 
he's clearly going for a male, older male demographic, which yeah. is fine. But I maybe that's a little short sighted because, you know, if you get kids in there to watch it and then they'll want to rewatch it and then suddenly you're building a franchise because this, as we know, could have had the potential to be a huge franchise. We know that there this was maybe going to be intended to be a franchise because, um, you know, there was a sequel planned. Unfortunately, it never really happened. And so to your point, I think there would probably would have been a better chance of a sequel happening with it being more PG. But at the same time, if it was going to be R, I kind of wish it leaned further into it and just gone full tilt boogie because as is. It feels like a PG movie with one scene that shouldn't fit, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Because the rest of the movie is very PG. Yeah, I mean, at the end, Adrian's dropping F-bombs, but it's neither here nor there. Right, yeah. Um, Yeah, because in this moment, Irene goes, I feel as if I've been blessed, and all the women you could have had, and you chose me. And he goes, yes. I chose you. <laughs> and he lays her down on this altar and he starts like massaging her, caressing her. It's a very like sexual scene. But then pretty quickly he takes the the, the ring that he's wearing and place he takes the ring he's wearing and places her on her forehead and like pushes it in and there's a beam of light. She screams and then that's the end of the scene and yep. she's dead. Yeah. And you kind of don't even find out she's dead until the next scene. Right. The next scene is Mordred waking up from a like a like a meditative sleep. He looks at his watch and he says it's late. Cut to the police station. And Detective Guadio is with Sam in the office. You're the queen of the freak squad hunt. What do you make of these? And he shows her pictures of Irene and her face and her dead face. And she goes, dead woman. And Guadio says, dead runaway. Completely drained of her blood. Folks filed an MJ report on her six months ago. I was talking about the marks on her face. She looks at the photos again closely, and she realizes that the mark on Irene's forehead is the same as the amulet on Mordred. Yep. Yep. He goes, the killer made him with this ring. She gets a little startled, and he goes, so what do you think? I thought it was a letter of some kind of foreign alphabet or something. She goes, no, it was especially designed. But I know someone who can help you. He's a recluse, but I'm sure he'd be glad to help us. I'll call him. And she walks off. Now, as someone who just met, she's got a thing for she's you know, she's got a friendship with Mordred, a budding friendship. But if I saw this and I just met this guy, I'd be like, Oh, that's the guy who killed him. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's Mordred. Yeah, and that's the thing, like where where the detective jumps to I'm with the detective, like, given the information we have. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so am I. This next scene is really cool, in my opinion. So Mordred is sitting at his table. Oh, yeah, I love this scene. And he's he's sitting in front of, uh, he's sitting at his desk, and he has a box in front of him. He opens it up, and inside there's several, like, crystal knives. They're supposed to be crystal, but it looks like they're plastic. But it's still, it's, use your imagination. Use your freaking imagination, eh? Yeah, suspension of disbelief. They're cool looking. I I wish that we saw more of this because this is really neat. Essentially, I'm just going to steal it from you because I, I love this scene. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, he takes the knife out and it's clear. It's like supposed to be probably clear crystal or something, but it's plastic. He takes it out. He looks at it. Then he kind of like 
meditates a little bit and then pulls it into himself. The, 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 the dagger turns into energy and goes into his own sternum. So he like does that and he does it with another one. And what you're going to find out is that he's basically absorbing these and using them as projectiles later. It's so cool that I wish we saw more of them. We kind of only see it in one moment. Um, but I'd like, I like what happens when he does shoot them because it does look like a dagger flying out of his hand. But I love the fact that they gave us this moment to see how he actually energized. They didn't have to, man. He could have done the action later and had the the dagger shoot out of him. I wouldn't have even questioned it. But the fact that he had to take physical crystal daggers and put them into himself added this awesome layer of world building and interest in me. I, I perked up when I saw this. Oh yeah. I, I, same, same. I think it's really cool. Um, he gets like two of them inside his belly and then suddenly cabal appears out of nowhere on the other side of the room. And I love it. And this is when he, he kind of like stands up and he just like shoots it out of his hand. And it's really cool. Cause the, the, the blade laser thing goes right through cabal and explodes like some books behind him. It's yeah. just a really well executed scene. But I me Corey. I like the fact that like, it looks like the same blade. Like it comes out of his hand like that. I think like, again, this made my imagination just spin. Yeah. Same, same. It's so cool. Um, the, the name of the crystals is interesting because Cabal then speaks and goes, the crystals of Endor. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it will take more than that. You know I picked up on that one. I, know I was did. like, Endor, is some Ewok shit right here. <laughs> right? Mordor goes, I have more. And Cabal says, I should think so. You've had over a hundred years to prepare for this. Why don't you use some of your legendary powers against me now? Mordor says, I can transport my spirit as well, remember? Cabal says, why do you persist? Why care what happens to this vermin? What difference does it make if I want this dying planet? That's not what our power is for. What then? For ten of their centuries we've lived on the other side, waiting for a chance to take our rightful place as gods in a godless world. A sorcerer is not a god. He is if he chooses to be, if he teaches these animals the real meaning of fear by bringing forth their worst nightmares from the other side. Nightmares I can control. A world of slaves just for us if you choose not to fight me. I still guard the pathway. Like you guarded me. I'll have use of the pathway. The fabric of the third dimension will be ripped open and the demons will be loosed and all you'll be able to do is listen to their mortal screams it's not their screams i'll be hearing says mordred cabal finishes and says you're a fool anton the people of earth would kill you if they knew what you really were and you choose to protect them they're primitive in many ways but i've taken an oath to protect them and that's what i'm going to do and then finally cabal says Before this is over, I'll drink your blood and feed on your flesh, and it will taste sweet. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Cabal shatters into lightning, and he's gone. Yeah, because it's just an astral projection type of thing. Astral projection. And there's a loud pounding at the door, and you hear Guadio say, Anton Mordred, open up. This is the police. End scene. (laughs) 
Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Welcome to Manic Movie Monday, where one person's trash is another person's treasure. Here we celebrate the trash, the treasure, and everything in between. You know when women get stressed, we take a bath. There's a lot to unpack with this movie. Spoiler alert! Prison is not like reform school girls, and I really wish somebody would have told me. We're catfishing serial killers. We're just trying on clothes without tags and seeing what fits. Everyone is wearing mail-order lingerie. So join us every other Monday, and stay manic. And now, back to the show. And we only have like freaking 20 minutes left in the movie. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. It is crazy. So so um it's a great moment, you know, it's it's one of only two scenes that that these two that the hero and the villain have together because the final scene they have is short and sweet as well. But it's yeah. just it, it's enough for you to know what's going on. Yeah, and it's I mean, we always talk about you know, your hero is only as good as, as your villain of the movie. I mean, there's a reason Star Wars is, is so world-renowned. Darth Vader was a great villain for Luke to overcome. Um, any movies like this, if your villain is weak, it's going to be a bomb. It's going to fail. And here, like having them, you know, talk to each other here and everything. Yes, Brian Thompson is, is, is playing it a bit bigger. You know, like we said, and Jeffrey Combs is playing it a bit more focused and precise but they they work they work together because that's also their different characters like one character's supposed to be more bombastic and then one character's supposed to be more reserved and everything i think this yeah. is i think it's perfect casting and i think it's a, a perfect uh you know matchup as a as a villain to a you know a hero i totally agree and i also want to point out we're already like almost double the amount of time that this movie is in our <laughs> breakdown <laughs> Uh, um, yes, so, yes. so now Guadio is bringing, uh, Mordred in the front of the police station. Sam approaches and asks what the hell's going on. Guadio says, I'm, I'm questioning your neighbor on suspicion of homicide. Mordred says, I'm afraid they won't listen to me. Guadio says, I'll listen all you want in the interrogation hall. Guadio yanks the pendant around Mordred's neck off and Mordred goes, I need that. <laughs> Guadio says, you don't need nothing. Now get them the hell out of here. So Sam's apologizing to Mordred as he's being taken off. Sam yells at Guadio, says, are you crazy? And Guadio says, no, but you must be. She goes, Anton Mordred's a respected researcher of the black arts. I sent you to him so you could help solve the case. And Guadio says, which is, which he did as soon as I saw this and holds up the pendant. He goes, it's the same burn marks on the dead girl's face. And as soon as I question him, he'll start talking about blood spells and all kind of bullshit. Sam says, he didn't kill that girl. And Guadio says, so he's an accomplice. Maybe it's a cult thing. Like, Guadio's not wrong, and Sam's not wrong in her own mind, right? Yeah, no, I don't think Guadio is wrong. You know, whether he's a piece of shit as a human, I don't think he's a bad cop in this regard. Totally agree. From there, you cut to the interrogation of Mordred. Guadio's questioning Mordred, asking by the pendant. Guadio says, a philosopher's what? Mordred says, a stone. And Guadio says, what is that? Like the Blarney stone? <laughs> and Mordred says, it's a vessel, a cup, that the alchemist used to combine his elements. There's one on display at the Cosmopolitan Museum. Guadio says, well, if I were a wizard, Mordred says, alchemist. Guadio says, whatever. 
What would I mix in this cup, huh? I a newt, dried spiders, human blood. That girl we found didn't have a drop of blood in her. Mordred says, you might use blood. The other end of the spectrum would be a radioactive element. It depends on the spell you want to cast, and that depends on the sorcerer's intentions, good or evil. And I guarantee you, Detective, Cabal's intentions are worse than evil. So Guadio continues and says, Doctor, I'm trying to believe what you're telling me. I know about divine good and ultimate evil. I was an altar boy for five years, and my cousin Angelo, he's from Jersey, he's taking his vows for the priesthood. But my police train is telling me that you're full of shit. Until you start making a little more sense, I'm going to keep you here. That's my job. And then he leaves. Guadio's in the hallway. This is a funny scene. He's <laughs> trying to get a cup of coffee from the coffee machine. He's yeah. pissed because the money he put in is basically just eating up his money. Sam gives him more money. Tries to get a coffee. No luck. Guadio says nothing, which is just what I'm getting out of that fruitcake friend. And then Sam's like, why don't you let me speak to him? Guadio goes, I'll, see, I'll be a son of a bitch. You like this guy. Sam's like, I just want to talk to him. Guadio says, no chance. Sam says, he might tell me something he wouldn't tell you, okay? You want a link to that murder? You're going to need more than what you got on him right now. And Guadio says, according to you, he's got nothing to do with the killing. Sam says, I don't think he does, but he might still trust me. I'll keep the statement recorder running. That's important because she brings it up again. And Guadio says, you're goddamn right you will. If he's such a great magician, see if he can get my money out of this damn machine. Sam walks off and goes to the interrogation room. And then suddenly, paper cups shoot out of the machine and quarters all over the floor as well. Yeah, so did Mordred do that? Because when she, when Sam wa- now I know that the detective kicked the machine right, but then when Sam walks into the room, Mordred's making like hand motions. It's very Doctor Strange esque, but he's not like laughing or saying. He's just kind of sitting there doing hand motions. I took it as he 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 did that. Like he fucked with the uh, the machine. I like to think that too, and I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna okay. say yes. <laughs> but also on the same side of that coin, there's no way that that detective would let her into the interrogation room. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Sam comes in in the interrogation room. And she apologizes to Mordred, and Mordred says, "Your detective friend isn't too bright, is he?" And then Sam says, "Do you have a lawyer, someone I can call for you?" And he goes, "They took my amulet away. Can you get it back?" Sam goes, "It's in the lab." And suddenly, out of nowhere, I love this. Mordred, he was cuffed at the time, yep. is able to remove the cuffs, no problem. Uh, and then yeah, he, he kind of just, he kinda just does like a, a wrist flick, and they sort of fall off. It's a, it's very showman. I, I like it. I like the yeah. movement, the hand movement that, it, that he makes. But yeah, then they just fall off, and he kind of just hands them to her. I think it's really cool. And then yeah. it's, it's a great bookend when he puts them back on later. Yeah, I love that. I love that. But he says, he, he goes kindergarten stuff he doesn't say kindergarten stuff he says kindergarten stuff i'm like that's not proper pronunciation (laughs) for a guy who's supposed to be so proper whatever don't be fooled picking locks and walking out of here isn't the problem the problem is my mortal form where sam goes mortal form he goes i can be killed in this state and there's something vitally important i have to do sam says uh i think you should seek some counsel (laughs) it's just like i think you need a lawyer buddy (laughs) right and Mordred goes, I thought the police would help me prevent the next murder. Cabal is a criminal who uses mortals to do his bidding. 
And she goes, is this the guy you're writing a book about? Is he involved in all this? And Mordred goes, I'm not writing any book. And I'm not doing a study of an abnormal person who, who believes he has magical powers. And then he goes, Sam, I need to tell you something. Show you something so that you'll comprehend the magnitude of what's going on here. Why I cannot be held here. And Sam goes, everything we, everything we say is being recorded. And Mordred says, well, just as long as you hear me. That's cool. Because he's like, yeah, just as long as you hear me. Like, right. he doesn't give a shit. And I'm, I, you know, you don't even need an explanation. I can totally, if he gets his amulet back, he can fix everything. I got no problems with that, you know? Totally. Totally. From there, he cut to the police lab where Guadio is talking to... Uh, Maury, who's like Maury. the scientist. <laughs> I like I like Maury. He's another great little, like, you know, two-scene, you know, a minute and a half worth of actual screen time. But this movie's great with all the little side characters. Yeah, and this this guy, he's good. You know, he it's funny because Guado's like, how you doing? And he goes, shitty. I've gained 12 <laughs> pounds on my new diet, and I don't know what the hell you brought me here. <laughs> yeah, because he's trying to, like, shave off pieces of the metal, and he's like, even Drill the diamond it. cutter won't, like, uh, even the amulet, you know. He can't even, like, shave a piece off with the diamond. But, yeah, I, there's just, like, this weird little diet thing going on with the character. It's it's great. It doesn't need to happen, and it's just, like, a couple lines of dialogue, but it, it gives him personality, it, it, it gives him character, and it gives him some business in a little bit. Yeah, I love it. Guadio is like, I told you, the guy's some some kind of magician. Maybe it's something he made himself. And Maury's like, well, then he's a goddamn genius. Cut back to the interrogation room. Mordred starts talking to Sam, and he says, I want you to see two young boys. He puts a he puts like a scarf around her eyes. Yeah, like a handkerchief. He kind of holds it up in between them. Kind of yeah. moves it back and forward. And I was like, what's the point of this? But to kind of they use it later to bring her out of the trance and you know you'll mention it but i was just like it's it's a little weird but i don't mind it but it's definitely odd it's it's definitely odd yeah but but in the scene it's a little wonky because there's yeah. like a not a whole lot going on in the scene yeah but you know it's stretched out a little too long but it, it is what it is um he says i want you to see two young boys students Born in another world of magic and sorcery. I'm sure with a bigger budget, this would have been bombastic. But, oh, yeah. Oh, for you sure. You know, there is zero budget for this film. Cut to two young kids looking at each other, young Mordred and young Cabal. They're dressed the same way, uh, opposite sides of each other on in front of books that, that they're trying to levitate. Mordred continues. He says, the boys competed in everything. Sometimes one would win, sometimes the other. As they grew older, their strengths were honed, their strengths almost identical. The power, the source of their power, was stored in an amulet each wears around the neck. As they grew older, their magical skills were honed, their strength increased, but the boys were on separate paths. Suddenly, you see the books starting to levitate. Mordred, the young Mordred, is levitating the books, and the young Cabal is kind of looking at him with a smirk on his face. Mordred continues, Harnessing their powers together, the students could have changed the course of this world for the better. But while one focused on assuming his place as a great sorcerer and command the worlds of light with understanding and beneficence, beneficence, by the way, Cabal, the other student, found a home with the children of Belial. Suddenly, Cabal flames the book out that Mordred is levitating. 
yeah, no, it's it's really cool because it's a practical effect. The that book is hanging there clearly, you know, by a wire, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's hanging there and Cabal like smacks his hand and right when he does it, flames shoot out of the book, but it's all in the same, you know, camera shot. So it's like it has to be timed and everything. Yeah. And it's a really cool effect. I, I like it. It's it's like this movie has so many cool little micro moments in it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Mordred finally, Mordred wraps up his little speech about the two boys and says, in regards to Gabal, one day he was enslaved mankind, so the war between them began. Their ambulance gave them even greater power, one good and kind and generous and one malevolent. Mordred says, now, after 150 of your years, the worst has happened. Cabal has escaped and come to Earth to turn this planet into a burning ash heap. He will literally rip a hole in the fourth dimension and release the demons who are trapped there on your world and let them feed. Suddenly, he pulls the handkerchief away. And like there's a big popping sound. Yeah, and I, I got to call it out. It's really cool because he, he's he's holding it with two hands and it gets ripped out of both hands by an unseen force. Obviously, someone pulls it from below like the camera shot. Yeah, but it, it's it's really cool because as it gets ripped out of his hands, it shoots her back awake. Um, but I like that he didn't do it. It's like a magic thing. Yeah. And yeah, there's like a pop or something. And she comes back to it. But it all happens in camera. Like it's not cut or anything. It's all done right there. So, you know, like some PA or something just pulled it out of his hands. But it, it works really well. Yeah, it's cool. It's I totally agree. It's a cool effect. Yeah, because she should, by the way, you know, anything that happens in camera is always better than an effect that you add later. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Sam's shocked like we are, and Mordred says, this will be a beyond the apocalypse. And Sam says, did you hypnotize me? And Mordred says, I just wanted you to see why I cannot be held here any longer. I have to have my amulet. And so he wants Sam to get it for him. And Sam's like, look, I'm no magician. I wouldn't know how to use that thing. Mordred goes, you don't have to be a magician. When you have the amulet, when you have the amulet in your hand, feel around the rim. You'll feel the stud. Shield feel your eyes. The rim, baby. <laughs> yeah. You'll feel a stud and you shield your eyes when you press it. There'll be a flash of light. Anyone who sees the flash will be frozen momentarily in time, like the long second in trancers. Yes. Yeah. This is when Mordred puts the cuffs back on. Yeah. Yeah. What a great little book in. He's like, well, we got, I got to get back to work now. Let me just put them back on. You right. Got to be a Sam's, normal person again. Exactly. Sam's still nervous about it. And she's like, I don't know if I can do this. And Sam's like, and Mordred goes, it's the only way. Cut back to the police station in the hallway. And then a detective approaches Guadio. And the detective says, hey, didn't your prisoner say something about theft of radioactive materials? And Guadio says, yeah. The detective says, some doc at a lab on Long Island, the one they were mentioning earlier. Ah, okay. Okay, so they do go to that one. All right. Yeah, it went nuts and stole an isotope. He handed it over to the accomplice just before the MPs gunned him down. They just brought his body into the morgue. And Guadio says, what about the accomplice? And the detective says, nothing. Empty sack. Here's a copy of the report. Cut back to the interrogation room. Guadio is with Mordred, and Sam is there too. Guadu says, okay, Miss Hunt, out of here. We need to question the prisoner about a second death. Mordred goes, I'll tell you, 
a radioactive material of some kind, stolen from a facility by a trusted employee. So basically, Mordred knows what's going on, yeah. but it's just burying him even more with the police because the police are like, yeah, all the shit that's went down, you're our only suspect. Yeah, no, he's, he's kind of fucked in that regard. Yeah. Guadio's like, I'm charging you, pal. And Sam's like, you can't do that. I'm like, what kind? Yeah, you're clearly not a cop, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Guadio tells her to get out. And as she does, I love this, as Mordred goes, Sam, my amulet. I need it. Turn the light off. Because he doesn't care if they hear him. I mean, because if he can get out of it, he can fix everything. Yep. Guadio says, what you need is an attorney and a psychiatrist. Oh, cut back to the church. And Cabal is crushing skulls with a giant themer bone. Yeah. It's like so white, too. (laughs) It's so white. Yes. And Adrian's observing and he goes, you don't have to put a spell on me. I'll I'll do anything you want, man. You're my master. Cabal says, Mordred's been arrested, but there's no guarantee he won't interfere with what I have to do. You need to have an advantage if you serve me well. And he's grind whatever he's grinding, he's about to give to Adrian. He takes like this powder and starts sprinkling it over Adrian. You see these sparkles around him. And Cabal says, for the next 12 hours, no physical harm can come to you. Adrian goes, fucking hey, just tell me what to do. Bring me those diamonds. (laughs) Cabal says, the surgeon has his scalpel and lasers. The alchemist has has the essence of the elements as his tools. And then from there, that's when it cuts to Adrian at the police station on like a platform like dancing. where they park the cars <laughs> dancing kind of od like the yeah. dance yeah. od kind of does like dan, dan, dan. but he's got a bottle in his hand it's a yeah. molotov cocktail that's not not yet lit yeah no and his his like his adr doesn't quite match like his mouth too it's kind of weird but whatever it's fun i like adrian so anytime he's on screen i'm enjoying it but yeah he's having a good old time and of course we're gonna see that cop from earlier, the one that was giving Sam shit about calling the fire department and everything. Yeah, the cop pulls up. Cop pulls up and he's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, what the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah. Adrian's like, hey, officer, how's it going, dude? Adrian then lights the Molotov cocktail and throws it at the cars, the cop, the cop's cop car. And he goes, I'm giving you a taste, dude. He fires it up. The the police car gets engulfed in flames, and then Adrian like yells out, "He's better than the Fourth of fucking July, man!" Woo! Cop pulls a gun out and tells him to freeze, and and Adrian says, "Go ahead, man. I don't give a shit." Cop shoots him. Nothing happens. Adrian laughs and says, "You've had your fun now, motherfucker. Go ahead and arrest me." And he gets on his knees, and he cut to Mordred being walked down the hallway. And dude, that uh, that explosion with the car, the cop car, was great. I yeah. was like, wow. But also at the same time, that cop didn't even attempt to arrest him. He just shot him right there. Yeah, exactly. Guadio comes out of the interrogation room with Mordred, telling uh, Sam that he's going to formally charge Mordred with withholding evidence and conspiracy to commit murder. The desk sergeant in this scene is terrible. Like, the actor is terrible. Oh, yeah. Because he keeps, like, looking at the camera and around and everything. He's at, he's horrible. Right. At the same time, Adrian's being brought into the police station as well. And he's raving at the top of his lungs. 
You played into our hands. The master will let loose the demons that will rip your hearts out. Guadio's like, who's this? And he goes, what is this? Night of the Living Wackos? Is this supposed to be the night? It's the daytime. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> and Adrian goes, Cabal rules, baby! <laughs> Officer tells him to shut up. And he goes, this guy tossed a Molotov to Guadio. He says, this guy tossed a Molotov cocktail under the patrol car out front. Adrian goes, just giving you a taste of the hellfire. Cabal's going to make you eat, man. Officer says he was begging to get busted. Guadio goes, this is an epidemic. Take him to the interrogation room. Adrian says, we know every move you make, man. He's looking at Mordred at this point. Yeah, I was like, is he saying? Yeah, he's saying this to Mordred. Because it's like you can't really tell if he's like yelling at the at Guadio. But yeah, I think he's talking to Mordred here. Yeah, and he goes, you can't stop the inevitable. Gets taken away. The detective with Guadio says, what do you want to do with Dr. Freak? Guadio says, book him. And I'll stay with him until I figure out what the hell's going on. Cut to Sam down in the police lab with Maury. She says hi to him, and he says, have some dinner with me, and he shows the shake. I think this was a little bit of a mistake on the writing part because he's like, uh, she's like, that's all you got? And he goes, it's all I ever have, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Guaranteed to take off 20 pounds in a month, but just a scene earlier, he's complaining how it's gaining all the weight from it. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's it's fun, but not correct at the yeah. same time. Yeah, because she, she's like, well, you're looking great. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, she said, Guadio sent me to look at that thing he got off that psycho upstairs. And then he br- he gives it to her because it's just a stone in the damnedest setting I've ever seen. And she's looking at it. Suddenly she pushes a button, flash a light, just as Maury's about to take a drink from his shake. And it's now pouring down his face because everything's frozen. Right. Yeah. And my first thought was now that this now that I'm aware that this is rated our movie, I was like, Oh my God, is she going to kill him by accident? And because I thought it was going to keep going down his throat, you know, because it's kind of like going out and everything. And it doesn't go in that direction, but I think if there was a longer movie here, they could have touched on something like that. I I don't know. I just, I mean, yes, it just turns out to just be a visual gag, but my head was like, oh my God, she fucking killed him. Like that was my world building, you know? Yeah, no, that tracks. That'll, that'll work. Um, she waves her hand in front of him and he's not moving at all. And so she realizes it worked. It worked. I killed Maury. <laughs> You're right. Cut back to the detective with Guadio and Mordred in the hallway of the police station. And Mordred saying, the longer you keep me here, the worse it will be. And the other detective says, we know, we know. And then suddenly Sam steps out of nowhere and Guadio says, Sam, I'm sorry, but I got to charge him on suspicion at least. You understand, don't you? <laughs> and and Sam goes, sure, Tony, you're just doing your job. And then she, Mordred knows she has the amulet and he yells, now, Sam, and she pushes the button. And then that moment, as she's pushing the button, the detective behind Guadio pulls out his pistol and takes aim at Mordred right near Guadio. But he's frozen, right? Yeah, because Mordred kind of elbows him in the stomach a little bit, kind of hits him, and then makes the so that so like that cop sees all that and starts drawing his gun. Yeah, and it's gonna be, 
and it's going to be important in a second. Well, sort of. I, I like it, but it's it's right next to Guadio's head, like exactly right next to his face, right next to his face. Yeah, Mordred grabs Sam, and they duck out down a, a nearby uh, stairway to leave the station. As they do, he slips the cups off. He slips the cuffs off, just like he did earlier in the other scene. You flash back to Maury's lab, where his spell wears off, and he dumps the milkshake all over his face. And then you cut back to Guadio with the detective, just as the detective's gun goes off right by Guadio's ear. Yeah. Guadio looks back and goes, Frank, what the hell's wrong with you? The, de- the detective goes, he's gone. Right. And that's so cool, dude. I like that, you know, he was in that moment. And then as he's coming out of it, he just and you shoots, you know? Like, I thought that was, you know, obviously not a realistic moment in real life, but a realistic response by that cop. I thought that was cool. Like, he... They could have easily brought back time, and that cop could have just been like, oh, what's going on, and not fired his gun. But it was so much more impactful that he did, and also that it was, like, right next to Guadio's head, and he was like, what the goddamn, you know, type of thing. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Cut to the exterior of the police station, and Sam and Mordred are rushing out of a nearby door. There's a police officer right by them who pulls a gun on him and says, tells him to freeze. Mordred out of nowhere pulls a gun and puts the gun right next to Sam's head. Tells the officer to put the gun down. Officer has the gun in his hand and then Mordred like uses a spell to basically make it super hot in the in the in like where it the the officer drops the gun out of his hand cuz it's burning hot, right? Yeah, it yeah, he drops it, yeah. He screams in pain and Mordred and Sam run off. Cut back to the police station where Adrian is. He's being uh, taken up the stairs by a police officer. <laughs> and I like how the the buzzer alarm is going off. And yeah, he goes, Adrian goes, what's the noise? And what does the officer say? <laughs> Cop says, it's it's the fuck you buzzer. <laughs> Shut oh, that's up. great. It's a good moving. line. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I'd be pissed too if he blew up my ca- blew up my car. Yeah. Guadio coming up the stairs says, get him locked up. Guadio and the detective continue racing down the stairs to get Sam and Mordred they come outside and they meet the officer who had the gun burned in his hands. And he's like bandaging his hands. Like, where did you get that bandage right away? Right. And uh, Guadio asks him where, he, where they went. And the officer says, towards Central Park. And then he says, be careful. He was armed. And they take off. Sam and Mordred are running through the park. Mordred still has the gun. And Sam goes, what'd you do to that cop? Mordred says, I didn't want the police to think that you were involved in any way. It's better for you, which is true. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she goes, where'd you get that thing anyways? Talking about his gun. And Mordred looks at the gun and motions and suddenly makes the gun disappear. Yeah. So it's just an illusion. It's an illusion, Michael. It's an illusion. Mordred pulls Sam by some nearby trees. And, and he says, Cabal has to get the Philosopher's Stone. It's the last piece he needs. Uh, he basically says he needs to get to the Cosmopolitan Museum, but it's yeah. on the other side of town. And that's going to take an hour in, in traffic. traffic. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. It's like, yeah, those are those are real problems. Those are real world problems that a superhero has to deal with. I like that. So I she's like that like, too. She's like, "What are you going to do? Fly?" And he's like, "Aha!" He goes, "I'm going to leave my body." And I like how he, he sits down on the on the ground. And then the camera kind of looks over at her as she crouches down to him. <laughs> and then the, the background of her is a giant trash can. And I'm like, you could have, like an overflowing trash can. I know. And I'm like, you could have moved that shot. And like, 
of course they do stock footage of of central park at the beginning of this scene but it's very clearly griffith park when they're filming this exactly <laughs> would have been funny if they filmed it at the old zoo yeah for those for those that don't know there's a really cool spot in griffith park where uh the old LA zoo is still there. The property is still there. So you can go walking through the old lion dens, the old gorilla cages that are really small and, and like confined and, and, and really sad. If you think about it, that animals were being held in there. I'm not yeah. a fan of zoos, by the way, I'm, I, I, I'm a fan of animal sanctuaries that take care of rescued animals, but I'm not a fan of places that keep animals in captivity against their own will yeah uh but if you look at this old la zoo it's a really cool location and they they could have filmed it there but then that then again that wouldn't have been central park so never mind yeah uh and so sam's like you know he basically asks sam to look over his body while he transcends and sam look over that trash can over there while you're at (laughs) (laughs) sam can you go get me a sandwich from that trash can uh and she's like i'm your hostage i gotta do as you say Wink, wink, nudge, wink, nudge, wink. you know what I mean? Although she's terrible because fucking Adrian pretty much sneaks right up on him. Exactly. So from there, you cut to Cabal in front of the Cosmopolitan Museum, a.k.a. the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles. Ah, which I see, I've never been there, so I didn't recognize it. Oh, I have. So I'm like, oh, I, I used to go. I've taken Bodhi there probably at least two dozen times, and uh, it it's cool that they use the natural history museum at least. I'm like, Oh, that's great that they got, then they actually film in one of the real rooms there. Where is that located? Is it over by the La Brea tar pits? No, it's over near USC. Ah, gotcha. Um, oh, it's over. Uh, I have the, been uh, there, but I haven't been into the, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I haven't been in there, but I think I've been to like the planetarium or the yeah, IMAX that was over there. Yeah. Literally across the, okay. Okay. Across the street from it. Yeah. It's so right yeah, that's to it. It's right by the light rail. One of the you can get off of the light rail right at it, um, yep. over there by USC. Okay, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. Very cool, very cool. Highly recommend you go to the Natural History Museum, uh, aka the Cosmopolitan Museum. Sure. So he, he's out front, sitting down on a park bench with a with with, with a, a real uh, bitch with, of a lady with his box, and yeah, this old lady decides to sit down next to him. He's got all the ingredients in his case, and he pulls out a red liquid in a bottle. And he goes, beautiful day, isn't it? To the old lady. She looks at him all annoyed and worried. He goes, it might be the last one for a long, long time. (laughs) Cut to back to the police station (laughs) where the officer, same officer who got his car blown up. Poor guy. (laughs) I got to call this one out. So the officers lead him into the interrogation room. Adrian kind of like. Does you know because he's handcuffed? He kind of does the the William Shatner you know hammer hit you know hammer punch <laughs> knocks him out you know <laughs> and then he goes running out of there and he barrels through like three cops and I love how he goes woo as he does it he's so he's so happy to be an evil henchman I Adrian is my favorite character in this whole movie and yeah, he's I love great. I love his woo as he runs through them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he charges out. They're shooting at him, but it's not doing anything because he's, yeah. in, you know. In, yeah. Uh, what would have been funny is when the, everything wears off, all those gunshots appeared. Yeah, because, yeah, it's going to happen. That's going to happen right after this scene. But, yeah, he goes running down the street, and actually the Guadio actually takes a shot at him with the shotgun. And I'm like, I don't think you should be 
discharging a shotgun on on an open street like that but you know okay and i like how there's this like cop in the background who just once he hears the shotgun is like what the fuck and just you know <laughs> but uh yeah a- adrian doesn't take any hits or anything he, he he's he's out he's off running he's out there Woo! Yep. he's out there <laughs> he's got everybody looking at he's got everyone going after him as well yeah cut back to mordred in uh central park <clears throat> and he <laughs> light park. shoots from his body and he kind of zooms off into space to astral plane. Cut back to the Cosmopolitan Museum. Cabal checks his watch. He stands with the vial of the red liquid that he had. And he drops the vial on the ground and crushes it with his foot. And he goes, sorry, Adrian. Now you're like every other human being again. Pity. Because he didn't give him 12 hours. He gave him less than 12 hours. Yeah, I didn't understand that. I was like, just let him, like, keep him as, you know... It, it, indestructible until you complete your task like why why end it now and you know it's funny because that glass that the the red liquid was in i don't think it's blood but it's something different you know from one angle it looks really neat and everything but when it lands on the ground and rolls over you can tell it's just a scientific test tube and you know because it has like these like markers on it for (laughs) you know whatever measuring yeah and i was like uh uh and i'm like because originally you think it's supposed to be some sort of old school alchemistry type of thing, but it's really a test tube. And I'm just like, okay, I just, you know, I don't care ultimately, but at the same time, it's just another thing to call out, you know, (laughs) but yes, going back to the story, why didn't he just give him the full fucking time? Like he, he probably still needs him at this point, you know, maybe, or maybe he's, he already got to his destination. So he's got everything he needs. Right. Yeah. Okay. It just, just it was copy. weird. It just it didn't need to happen because I also too, I would have assumed that when the power does wear off in a little bit at the end with Adrian, I just I could, I would have just assumed it was just the natural progression of those twelve hours. You know, I didn't need him to to artificially take it away. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. But he's at he's he's at where he needs to be because the next scene we cut to is cabal inside the natural history or i mean the cosmopolitan museum (laughs) and he the room he's in now the room actually looks still it still looks like that it's got that statue in the center of the woman holding up a uh like earth uh that statue's still there at the museum does it have the t-rex and the mastodon uh bones next to it it does not. Those are in another room. They're in the room adjacent to it. Um, okay. So that room is just like a circular room. Actually, that room, I don't think... It has like some some uh, pillars around it that have artifacts on it, but it's pretty open as well. Okay. But yeah, that that's... But in that room that Cabal is in, there is a giant T-Rex bone uh, skeleton and then a woolly mammoth, right? On the yeah, other, or like a skeleton. Yeah, or mastodon, mastodon, whatever it is. And you can tell by the way that the shot is, is that they're not really there. But it's a really good for like the stop motion stuff in this movie is amazing because this is such a low budget film that they were able to actually pull it off as well as they do. And yeah. this establishing shot is necessary to kind of make your head believe. Right, right. Cabal walks up to the statues while a little boy with a sweet mullet is with his mom. And the little boy goes, man, they were giants. And Cabal goes, it's funny. I remember them as being much bigger. And the little boy and Cabal walks off and the little boy goes, dickhead. (laughs) 
Yeah. And the mom and it, scolds him. It's yeah, hilarious. That, it's a funny little moment. And I got to say, man, that kid's haircut is 2023 contemporary. I have seen, because he's got the mullet, but it's like shaved on the side. And I've seen people with that haircut now. And I'm just, you know, you live old enough, you live long enough to see the same styles come back come back around and it's just like holy fucking shit everything comes back around good everything. and bad things yeah book burning is coming back around fascism comes fascism. back around yeah right <laughs> <sighs> so <laughs> after that you hear a guard yell out sorry folks six o'clock museum's closed six everyone, o'clock god damn right god damn uh everyone starts to move on out of the exhibit except for gabal he stops before a cabinet with a the sorcerer and alchemist stone, the philosopher's stone, right? Cabal rubs his hands over the glass case and he goes, at last. And a guard walks up to him and says, excuse me, sir, it's time to go. Closing time. The guard walks off and then Cabal shoots a light at the, the glass around the philosopher's stone and shatters it. And then Brian Thompson does a great job of pretending... <laughs> that a styrofoam prop is a heavy, you know, stone as he picks it up. But you can kind of tell by the weight of it that it weighs next to nothing. But I love it because Brian Thompson works it, man. He he acts his way all the way over where he kind of picks it up and drops it where, you know, where he puts it on the altar. Yeah, well, he puts it in a new location. Yeah. yeah. And then he starts talking like Jerry Dandridge in Fright Night saying, Minions of darkness, I summon your power. Demons, hear me. I command you. Use your strength to set yourself free. And cut to the fourth dimension where you see the hatchway that was that we saw earlier where Gunner's guarding it is uh, like getting banged out from the inside. <laughs> getting banged out by the inside. <laughs> <laughs> and I then slate that one. Gunner, Gunner's watching watching everything go on. Cut back to Cabal, who's pouring his glitter soap into the Philosopher's <laughs> yeah. Stone. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I had that. I made that with my students when I was a teacher. <laughs> um, and then suddenly, Mordred appears. In his blue costume, but sans cape. And I'm like, I know. Oh, like, and I'm not going to lie, man. The costume's kind of lame without the cape because there's also no accent colors it's all the same blue the cape had that inner gold and that's what kind of like like gave it that sort of accent dude i honestly i mean yes this is a b movie a shoestring budget b movie but literally if i could change one thing about this entire movie it would just be to give him his cape here in the final scene. Yeah. I would pay to have it CGI added back in because it would. Oh, dude, his whole. Why is it not there? That whole outfit looked great. Why is the cape not in the the finale? It it's it's weak sauce. It's got it to have it. It's it's, and have it's it. the it's the only bit of weak sauce in this entire fucking movie. I totally agree. Totally agree. Um you know, this is when Cabal's like, the gateway will be open to you. And that's when Mordred says, it won't be that easy. Mordred stands at the entrance with of the museum with his, again, without his cape. And uh, Cabal says, why do you persist? My children are waiting on the other side. And Mordred says, you'll be joining them soon. Cabal says, I think not. Their fate is well sealed. Hmm. Suddenly, Cabal shoots a light dagger at Mordred 
but what happened to Cabal earlier in the movie happens to Mordred, goes right through him, and it's it doesn't affect flip. him. Yep. And Cabal says, I thought as much. You know you have no power over me in this state. Mordred says, but I can still cast a spell. Dude, and he kind of like does this really quick hand motion because he's like, you know, kind of just standing there. But he's like, but I can still cast a spell. And he goes, boom, and he just like moves his arm really fast and just shoots, you know, lightning, you know, a laser bolt type of thing at Cabal, like blasting him backwards. I just loved how quickly Jeffrey Combs went from being sort of standing idle to yeah. being in action. And that's that's what I think is is really cool about the Mordred character. Like I said, he's he's he unlike Cabal, he's very he's more subdued, he's more focused, but this moment right here shows that he's always primed and he's always ready. And I'd like that. I just I just it's weird, guys. I just like how quickly Jeffrey Combs sort of did the motion and just shot the lasers out. It was really cool. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. And then this, of course, causes Cabal to resurrect the Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton so cool. and to life. And it comes to life, starts moving around, and you see the museum. There's two museum guards in there that hadn't done anything to Mordred or Cabal earlier, and now they're attacking the t-rex yes so (laughs) my wife and i had so much fun with one of those security guards so one of the guys runs into the room his eyes are like already on the t-rex and then he looks down to where his mark is to stand on his mark and i'm just like oh god like and i was trying i was telling my wife i was like look i was like what he's doing there the actor is looking down to look for his mark and honestly from what i've understood what i understand what i've heard from actors that is one of the harder things about their job is to look for your mark where to stand, but not look like you're looking for your mark, you know, don't act like you're looking for it and just to kind of, but to see it and you have to nail it. You have to land on your mark because uh, guys and gals, if you're not familiar, there's usually a little X on the ground, like in gaffer tape. And that is where the scene is lit. So the actor, if they're moving, they have to stand there specifically because that's where the scene is lit. And you also hear about, you know, sometimes there's people that are stand-in for actors and stuff. That's so they can light those scenes and everything and then have the actor stand where they're supposed to be. But you're never supposed to look down at your mark. In fact, it's made fun of very subtly but very great in Ghostbusters during the commercial that Sigourney Weaver sees on TV, if you notice, when they all step forward, Egon looks down because the actor in his head, he's like, Egon would look for his mark. He looks down. Not, you know, not, not Hale Ramis, but Egon, the character, looks down at his mark. And it's fucking hilarious. But here, this one security guard, he wasn't supposed to. But he does. No, and he'll be killed soon. So yes, he gets one... eaten, and it's like a, a and it's a claymation dude, and I love it because I love stop motion and I love claymation. You and I, Zach, we talked about it on the last episode of TV Obscura with the fruit roll-ups and the wrinkles commercial. I'm a right. big fan of claymation, man. Yeah, no, it's so great, so great, and and the one guy gets eaten by T Rex, and and Cabal's having a great time. Uh, saying you know my friend will eat your charges 
They're the ones you've sworn to protect, right? And, I do, and at one point, Cabal even calls out, like, when he re- resurrects the, the t- T-Rex, he's like, like, isn't our powers magnificent? Like, he's like, he's very impressed by his own powers, and I like that. Yeah, he says, God, our powers can be so amusing, yeah, basically. Yeah. And, uh, and... And so he's yelling at Mordred. He's because Mordred's watching all this go on, but he can't really do anything about it or isn't doing anything about it yet. He goes, how's it feel to be so helpless? You're just a wisp of smoke. Mordred says, not quite. And Cabal says, all the elements are in place, Anton. The raw diamonds of Earth, the platinum, sister of gold, and now plutonium. A touch of the element that mankind has twisted into their ultimate weapon. I like that he points out that plutonium, yep. yes, is yep. terrible. No, I think that's really cool because even Mordred mentions it earlier. It depends on the spell, but he's like one hand is blood. The other hand, like the opposite end of that spectrum is, yeah, plutonium or something. Because right. we we alternate, like we fucked with it, you know, like whereas blood is pure, plutonium is altered and affected by us. Right. And then Cabal slits his hand with with a piece of glass. And he says, in a taste of the blood of their future king, man's last days on earth are here. So one guard is dead. Now Rex is stalking the other guard. And at that point, Mordred resurrects the skeleton of the mammoth, the Mastodon. And when that happens, the Mastodon and T-Rex start battling each other. And it looks fantastic, guys. Yeah, it's cool. It really does. It's I mean, it's it's it can be put up to any movie nowadays, and it looks so good. And I, and Cabal continues to yell for his children in the fourth dimension, you know, to prepare themselves for war. And this is the point when the when the two fossils are battling each other. The yeah. little one of the guards who survives runs off, and Cabal is yelling at Mordred, saying, "It's too it's it's no good, Mordred. You're too late." Cut to the fourth dimension where Gunner is shooting at the portal where the monsters are starting to come out of the pit. And Gunner says, at least I'm going to go out fighting. And he's shooting at the door as the monsters are trying to come out. And they're all like stop motion. And uh, one of them, the one that's in the back, is one of the stop motion werewolves from the howling i uh that that was in the imdb you know did you know type of thing yeah yeah um and rewatching it i'm like oh yeah i i noticed it but you know it was, it was good they put it in in the back it wasn't one of the four creatures and you just gotta wonder like how does like how does it happen like did they just i forgot who i don't remember if it was um uh stan winston or rick baker who worked on the howling um but like how do you just acquire one of the stop motion werewolves from that final scene and then just put it into here. It's just, yeah, it's, 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 I just find that, that factoid to be interesting. Well, it makes me wonder if David Allen worked on the howling. That's a good And point. he did. He there did. you go. So he, cause, he and, and I know it's, I know what shot it is. It's, it's when they, after the werewolf attacks the car and they get away and you see those two two or three werewolves in the street kind of like walking around and howling, that's stop motion. He must have been brought in for that one and he just kept the model. Genius. Fucking genius. You know, don't don't throw anything away, you know? Yeah. Be, <clears throat> be a hoarder. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, no. <laughs> With it, toenails it's, and everything. It's Exactly. It's really wild because 
Cabal is excited. He's like, my children are loose on your world. So, you know, they're basically going to take a portal to Earth at this point. And but but suddenly the mammoth is fighting the T-Rex and knocks the T-Rex down to the ground. Cabal kind of like teleports on top of the altar. Like it was kind of unnecessary, but he was behind the altar and then all of a sudden he teleports on top of it. Yeah, suddenly he's on top of the altar, freaking out, getting excited. And Mordred says, because script wise, they have to get him into position for the tusk. Exactly. Because Mordred goes, you didn't win. And Mordred suddenly unleashes a bolt of energy that makes the mammoth turn away from the T-Rex with its long tusks and I cabal and move towards him. Suddenly, out of nowhere, the mastodon mammoth thingy thrusts his tusk right into cabal, killing him instantly. Yeah, right into his gut, like just like like butter, like a hot knife through butter. That that mastodon put his tusk right through his stomach. It's cool. Yes. He like disappears, but there's still like you know, um, uh, cabal disappears in a flash of light. But I like how there's still blood on the end of the tusk of the mastodon. Yeah, yeah. So he he explodes into a ball of light, and and sh- you hear him kind of moaning and screaming as you see the light go into the uh the prison that's holding the other monsters and the prison door closes slams shut and then gunner shoots off a few more rounds at it and he goes well i'll be damned i did it and he kisses his own amulet i love the fact that gunner thinks he did it that's great what a you great piece shit. of dialogue yeah, it's great i love it bravo dude you get you win you win the day you win a no prize cut back to the museum and the t-rex and the mammoth both collapse and crumble into lifeless bones mordred fades away and turns into light as he zooms back to sam in the park where adrian is already like on top of them with a knife and i'm like sam you're the worst fucking lookout ever yeah she's no cop and uh and so right at that moment you cut back to adrian with a big blade Sam's like struggling with him and he's trying to shove the blade into Mordred and he's yelling at Sam going, don't fuck with me, lady. I'm on a mission from the master and this man's going to die. I wanted him to say I'm on a mission from God. (laughs) Exactly. And suddenly Mordred comes to life, catches the knife before it's plunged into him, is able to get away from Adrian Tells Sam to cover her eyes, presses his amulet to freeze Adrian. Sam says, I thought you'd never get back. Mortridge has said, you were supposed to guard my body. (laughs) Right? Yeah, so much for that. She goes, this guy says he's from his master to kill you. Mordred goes, his master is dead. And she goes, well, in that case, she she kicks kicks him right right in the the crotch. (laughs) Suddenly, Monitor is speaking to Mordred. Sam can't hear it. Monitor goes, you've done well, Mordred, but you must cross over now. Mordred goes, why? You have revealed too much to the mortals. Your capture will jeopardize all future missions. I command you to the other side. And then he turns to look at Sam and he goes, Sam, I'm sorry, but... And Sam goes, well, Anton, who are you talking to? Mentor goes, I command you. You must obey, Mordred. Mordred goes, I know. Just let me explain. And he looks at Sam and he goes, Sam, I have to leave. And Sam's like, okay, well, we'll go together. 
And Mordred goes, well, where I'm going, you can't come. Sam says, tell me what kind of weirdness to expect and I'll handle it. I think I've done pretty good so far. And Mordred smiles. He goes, you've done a lot more than that. I'll see you again. I promise. Take care of Edgar. Suddenly Mordred vanishes. And I'm like, give her the fucking password to your, you know, your key card to get in. She's like, what? What about the key? How much was tell Edgar? The key? Hello? Hello? Yeah, so the cops like, show he, up. He should appear back and be like, oh, the combination is 1325, and then disappears back again. Yeah, Guadio, because Guadio and the whole gang show up. He sh- should have showed up then and be like, hey, guys, what's up? Okay, see you later. Peace out. Guadio shows up and, you know, asks if Sam's okay, and, he's, and she's like, I'm fine, but that son of a bitch tried to kill me. And suddenly Adrian comes back to life, and he's struggling, to, holding his crotch. Like, oh, yeah. God. And I liked, and the funny thing is when he was frozen, he had a different face. When she kicks him in the crotch, he kind of has a grimace, you know? So it was a great, because even though he's frozen, his face changed. I, that was a great little joke nod. I don't, I think that was on purpose, you know? Oh, that was great. Yeah, it's great. Great acting too. Yeah. So he, so, you know, they have their guns on him and he's like, the master protects me from your puny weapons. You ain't got shit. And Guadio's like warning him. He's like, quiet down, put the gun, put the knife down. Cause he still has his knife. And then he shoots Adrian in the leg. And then Adrian's like, Jesus Christ, it hurts, man. <laughs> Guadio's yeah. like, no shit, Sherlock. No shit, motherfucker. So he's, and then he turns to Sam and he's like, where's Mordred? Sam goes, I don't know. Guadio goes, the guy kidnapped you at gunpoint. And you didn't see which direction he went. Sam goes, I turned and he was gone. Guadio goes, just like magic, huh? Sam goes, in a way, yeah. Guadio goes, come on, I'll give you a ride home. Sam goes, no thanks, I think I'll just walk. <laughs> and Guadio goes, I want you in, in my office tomorrow. I'm going to find him, Sam. Sam goes, you probably will. You're a dedicated cop. It fades to black. Yeah, I actually kind of like that. I I like that. He, I, I felt he was earnest when he was like, I'll, I'll take you home. But at the same time, I like that she didn't take him up on that because he didn't he didn't earn that. He's been a dick the whole time. Even though that moment I think he was earnest about it. Um and I but also he's still think, hidden on her though. He's that like that's his way of like, come on, come on. I, yeah, I mean I d I didn't take it as such. And I did like how she was like, Oh, I, I I believe you will, because I do think you're you're a dedicated cop. I I just liked it. I just liked that it didn't end with her her saying like fuck you or something, you know? Yeah. No, I no, I agree. I agree, but she's like uh-huh, I'm good. I can walk home. <laughs> yeah, but but ultimately, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Cuts cut to Christmas time in New York. Hey, this is a Christmas movie. It is. Oh yeah, just like Trancers. Yeah. yeah. Technically, you get a nice stock footage shot of Washington Square with a tree in the background. Yep. You cut to Sam and Mordred's apartment talking to Edgar. I mean, she, says, she got a life upgrade as far as apartments go. No shit. And she's kind of bummed out. She's like, no offense, Edgar. But there are other people I'd rather be spending my Christmas with than you, Edgar Cause. And she goes, you'll have your bird seeds and I'll have my eggnog and we'll watch It's a Wonderful Life for the 100th time. Guess it could be worse. Suddenly you hear Mordred's voice say, it could be better. Sam turns and Mordred materializes in front of her, in front of the giant map, actually. Yeah. She's excited to see him and he's excited to see her. And she goes, much better. Mordred thanks her for taking care of Edgar, and she asks if he's staying or is he, or if he's going to vanish again. And Mordred goes, well, wherever they send me, 
I'll need some help. Somebody I can trust. Sam says, I'll do my best. She smiles. And, and, and Mordred goes, good. But first, we have to have a little eggnog. Sam smiles and Mordred goes, and watch our movie for the first time. <laughs> they both smile. Scene fades. And the credits roll. And that's a nice sweet ending. Yeah. Kind of romantic to Dr. Mordred. Yeah. Or it it's, you know, I mean, it could also just lead to like this doctor companion platonic relationship. That's fine, too. But regardless, honestly, it's the perfect way to end this movie. Um, final thoughts. I love this film, man. I, and it's it's such a stark contrast because I can actively remember my thoughts when I saw the cover for this back in 1992. And I was like, what is this bullshit? I'm not watching this crap. You know what I mean? Crap. And, but it's, it's, it's very ambitious. Um, I was very surprised by how ambitious this, this film was and, and what they were able to accomplish with the budget that they had. And how economical it was in an hour and 15 minutes. My God, we are like triple the runtime of this movie. It, it's right. so easy to digest. Um, it never feels slow or boring. It doesn't have time to. It just moves from one one scene to another. But everything feels like it's there. I feel like very little is missing. I don't feel like there's much that... that for this particular story, I don't feel like that there's much missing. But at the same time... I want to see more, and that, and I think that's why you know a sequel was was planned but never happened. But I think this would have been perfect for a sequel. And honestly, fucking do it now. Like like do one of those movies where you know it jumps into like meaning like as much time happens in real life as happens on in the movie, and then just bring it back and everything. Like this was cool. It's a fucking rated R, you know, Doctor Strange movie, and whether or not the rated R aspect works or is necessary i'm more fascinated by the fact that this movie looked like acted like and sounded like an mcu movie from the 2020s like this felt contemporary it felt like it could exist next to doctor strange proper and everything like that next to iron man and all that kind of stuff it just it felt like it is just yeah, budget-wise, it's it's definitely small, but Richard Band's music is very superhero-ish, and, and I think it works great, and I think it elevates this movie to, to a whole new level. So overall, man, this was a good one. This was fun. I can see why this has a cult following. It's really cool, and I'm really happy I finally saw Dr. Mordred. Yeah, I'm glad you did too, and I'm glad you liked it. It, it gives you a different perspective on Jeffrey Combs, who's known for being a certain way and uh you know seeing him in a different light brian thompson seeing brian thompson in a different light as a lead villain with some heavy dialogue and and really milking it and it's a fun cool 74 minutes that you know doesn't drag there's a couple scenes the interrogation scene is a little slow uh that could have you know made felt a little bit faster but overall i loved it too i just thought it was great uh, it's great to watch it again. It's great to break it down. And, 
all those what ifs, what could have been, because honestly, full moon's not the same anymore. That era's not the same anymore. You can't, that was lightning in a bottle for these types of movies, and it's over, unfortunately. Uh, but fortunately, we have these movies to watch over and over again. And Dr. Mordred, Subspecies, Doll Man, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, you can't recreate that gold. You can't recreate that magic on those tapes. But you can listen to this. You should watch it. If you've yeah. never seen it, go watch it. You'll enjoy it. It goes by super fast, and it's it's relatively painless when you're over. And you're like, oh, I really love that. Or, okay, well, it didn't waste a whole lot of my life. Yeah. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, if you don't like it, it's not a giant commitment. You know, I mean, Christ, it's it's half the length of any normal mcu movie so it's just yeah dude and it almost makes you you know kind of channeling my inner dustin it almost makes you realize that they can really trim a lot of fat on some of these comic book movies and and really focus them and we can have a, a bit of a tighter story there again there's nothing missing on the, in this one i didn't feel like there was anything more that i needed there's more that i wanted but it didn't feel like there was more that i needed well, I can give you something more that you need and that you'll want, and that's www.podcastingafterdark.com. Go there <laughs> for all of the info on all the shows you love and more, and our merch page, which you can access from our website. It's a direct link to T Public. That's the best way, really the only way, to find our merch. Uh, all the T-shirts that Corey's designed, all the T-shirts that... You know, um, that we all, all the the anniversary poster print T-shirts that we have, uh, all the great iconic logos that you love from podcasting after dark. Believe it or not, that's a great way to support the show and look cool at the same time. Uh, and if you want to further support the show, you can go to patreoncom slash podcasting after dark. Many of you have already done that. And thank you so much for doing that. Uh, but if you haven't and you're considering it, please consider doing it. If you're not able to support in that way, consider giving us a five-star review on Apple podcasts or Spotify. And you can now leave positive reviews on Apple, on Spotify, as well as Apple podcasts. So oh, consider doing know, is, all that stuff. Are they doing that now on Spotify? Actually leaving like typed reviews and everything. You can leave like comments on. Yeah. On, yeah. You can actually weird. leave comments. We had but one. That's we've some, got. We've gotten one comment on a, on an episode. You can leave comments now on Spotify. It's so fucking cool. It's so cool, and we will read them, and we will respond to them. Um, and we do the same with all our social media posts. So go to Instagram, <coughs> Facebook, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. but mostly Instagram. Just go to that's where we interact with everybody. Yeah. And uh, but everyone who supported us already, thank you so much. All of you that are new to the show, uh, hope you enjoy this cult train that we are on because it's going to keep chugging along for many more years to come yeah no exactly maybe forever yeah hopefully god willing baphomet willing uh yeah zach zach's right uh podcastafterdark.com links to everything patreon merch store yada 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 but also Zach's got another podcast, $2 Late Fee. You can go to $2LateFee.com. That's T-W-O. And same thing over there. You can find links to their Patreon page. You can find links to their merch store over there. You can find links to all the podcatchers and everything like that. And same thing applies to $2 Late Fee. You know, if you like that show, please support them on Patreon. The, Dustin and Zach do a great job over there. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm a Patreon supporter. I fucking love them. Um, I also love 
of territory marks it's kind of like tv obscura on the podcasting after dark feed where it's on the two dollar late fee two dollar late fee feed <laughs> say that five times fast right. uh as well but it's a great show um i i love it i'm learning a lot about wrestling from from the marks uh from the territories uh you know everything outside of wwf essentially um all the different territories and everything um it's a monthly show kind of like uh tv obscura is on podcasting after dark but go over to two dollar late Check out their Patreon. Check out their merch store. Check out all the shows that you guys have going on over there. Of course, check out the crossover episodes that we have and everything. And we have another one coming this year as well. And uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. And uh, thank you all so much for supporting both shows, for supporting $2 Late Fee and Podcasting After Dark. We love you all. You guys, you guys are all the heroes. You're the sorcerers of... Podcasting After Dark. And oh, nice. <laughs> and as always, we'll catch you on the dark side oh, in the fourth dimension. Someone say fourth dimension? Ha! I can take them all on. Bang, bang. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke. (laughs) Hey, everybody. I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found.